if you're the kind of person who can't take a punch in the jaw and get up and continue fighting no matter how bright you are don't try to start up something on your own get a bunch of partners because nothing can keep you going like a, a bunch of of co-founders and partners and like i said it's not for everyone and it's not some sort of virtue that you have to boast about i'd be just as proud of what i was doing what i was doing a good job in someone else's company so uh, don't take just being a startup founder as a virtue in itself it's not it's just one of the things we do it must have been a magical moment then when you first tried the product and it tasted quite nice very nervous during those times because uh, my hands and my body were shivering because you you never know what happens next so but uh, it was pretty awesome we were able to achieve the taste uh, that is required if you want to get into trading what do you need to do then people will say learn technicals learn market behavior etc i always say that first you learn about you about your behavior your style and match that style with the market and see whether there is any edge which you can create for yourself initially like like you know it was tough to get people to have cocktails and to 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 actually convince them to enjoy the drinks but but it was just about going with your gut and in fact one of the my famous lines that i used to say to all our guests was that you know uh, i would offer them a cocktail and i would always say that if you don't like it give it to me i can use a drink and uh, that almost every time worked Hello Rob, thank you for downloading the last episode of 2021 and after five years of interviewing amazing Indian entrepreneurs, I'm actually thinking about investing in a few Indian startups. So if you are building something exciting and need some seed funding to get your startup off the ground, please contact me. And on with the show. So today you will hear some of the best guests I've spoken to over the past few years. So you will hear from News Laundry co-founder Abhinandan Sakiri on building an alternative news model. Next up is Siddharth Manvati. He's the co-founder of Clear Meat. He talks about building India's first cell-based meat company. Next up is Vivek Baji. He's the co-founder of StockEdge and eLearn Markets. He talks about building the Bloomberg ecosystem for retail investors in India. And last but not least, Minakshi Singh, the co-founder and CEO of Sidecar and Speakeasy. She talks about building India's best bar and being featured in the coveted Asia 50 best bars in 2020. So sit back and enjoy some of the best moments of the Indian Stop Show and I wish you all the very best for 2022. Hello, thank you for coming on the Indian Startup Show today. Thank you, it's my pleasure, man. Uh, tell me a bit about News Laundry. News Laundry was something that we started back in 2012. To tell you about News Laundry, I'll have to tell you about the other company that I had uh, started with uh, my business partner, Prashant, uh, which was actually a television production company, uh, which both of us started in 99. We both used to work for a news organization called News Track. It was India's first uh, video news, news show. And back then, because private news was not allowed on the airwaves it was just the government broadcaster Doordarshan. Mm-hmm. news track i was a reporter uh, he was a producer there once the television channel the satellite tv boom started we had just quit and started our own production house and we were making non-fiction programming primarily travel shows uh, but both of us had a major interest in news and uh, i was also uh, writing a show called Indian tamasha which was actually similar to spitting image it's a british show with these and uh, but we were kind of seeing what was happening in indian news and we thought it was it was an opportunity to do a do something digitally in the news space because both of us were convinced that this is not the model that is going to make news sustainable and uh, madhu who was the founder of india today its largest indian news magazine uh, she was the one who hired me for news track I used to meet her off and on in Delhi and all used to say, look at news, what's happening. So the, 
initial idea was just to do a show where we critique the news we look at what's happening in the news space that how was news comment on business politics you know industry everything but no one was commenting on news there was no culture of you know the late night shows that that you have in the US and in the west yeah. but no news channel wanted to actually put a show like that up because there was this unspoken code of news not commenting on other news platforms then we kind of said that you know forget a news show let's just do a full news site and by then the digital space was growing there was indian uh, internet penetration was still not in the double digit uh, at least broadband so then we said let's just go online and start our own little news commentary you know digital platform so that's how it started and it was a, a passion project because Prashant and I had a fairly successful production house, so the additional costs were not significant. We had an office, we had editing machines, we had cameras, we had the basic infrastructure. And then a year into it, it did well. People noticed it; it was something new. Uh, then we kind of spun it off and said, "Okay, now this this some um, is this is something that that has a life of its own. It it can be sustainable on its own." Mm-hmm. Was yeah. it tough to walk away from that career then? Well, yeah, in a sense, I did have to. Um, then stepped down in any executive role in small screen which is the production house and we had a bunch of very successful travel shows at the time we had high brahma plate which was a very popular travel show so but yeah we had to say that okay now you know prashant and rupak will handle small screen madhu and i'll handle news laundry we had to separate the companies because we were looking to raise funds for news laundry whereas small screen was not a funded company it was an organic growth we weren't looking for vcs and they were two kind of different businesses so so yeah that's that's how news laundry actually started it was basically prashant me and madhu you know our news kind of mm. that that little bug that we had of of having a, com- a comment on news sticking in our heads so we kind of got back to news after a gap of maybe 10 10 11 years yeah, sounds exciting what, what what went wrong in the early days then what went wrong when uh, let's see what what could go wrong right news is a very it's a very high risk venture to set up especially in a country like india because the government interference is much much higher as compared to let's say britain or some of the other liberal democracies uh, in the west news platforms are a lot more scared of news um, on the you know press freedom index i don't know whether you saw we are even lower than philippines so in you know many asian countries news is a very high risk venture especially if you plan to kind of not pull your punches that was something we understood and that's come to the territory so like i said because it was a passion project we were willing to take that risk secondly as an economic model news was becoming less and less sustainable because indian news platforms depend heavily on government advertising it's not just private sector advertising and we had said that we will be an ad free model we will be a subscription only model and you're talking about at a time in 2012 even you know guardian or or new york times mm-hmm. had not quite proved that a reader supported contribution or subscriber model is possible the culture of paying for news was not as robust as it is now so the first few years were hard like will this last will it just be something we do on the side but i was extremely convinced of it that this is how news will evolve it has to evolve this way i mean i i'm quite happy of how how it how it grew and how we stuck to our core calling and now the world over of course the world over it happened a lot earlier it happened in the early 200s to the teens that between 2012 and 2015 where reader supported news platforms uh, became more and more sustainable and that became norm a new york times and and wapo have a record number of subscribers so does the guardian uh, it's happening now in india uh, news platforms that earlier 
which came up and i was told by many people that indians won't pay for news mm-hmm. don't don't follow the models in, from britain or france or sweden and the us but i think it has shown that even people will pay for news no matter which country they're in yeah, because awesome. it'll always be a smaller percentage but they exist yeah yeah can can you share some stats then depending from month to month you know the there's some drop off some comeback mm. we have between 5 to 6000 paying subscribers awesome. the one thing that determines subscription is not just your product it's also the technology that makes it easier to make payment what 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 your thoughts on youtube then because you're on youtube i mean do you do you youtube advertising then no, no we have disabled youtube ads mm-hmm. and often uh, i get asked this by people that you know fine you don't want to take ads because it compromises your journalism because you have to have a sales team who's going looking for ads mm. and if you're going to be reporting on let's say corporate corruption you can't possibly going to be the same market for ads but why we have disabled it is not because you have to have a sales team that is going looking for ads because that is automated clutters the way you're positioning your product i think for any entrepreneur when you are doing a consumer facing product you have to be very clear about how you're positioning it and sometimes doing something may not compromise the structure but it will compromise the optics of your product so not everybody who will watch a news laundry youtube video will say that oh these ads that are coming are not actually them going out and getting ads this is an automated youtube function for them they will see us as someone who does have ads and that kind of dilutes how you're positioning your product until your product is completely positioned in the market for a basic set of values which in our case is when the public pays the public is served when advertisers pay advertisers are served so i say that in every podcast that is an appeal that goes out on social media on every you know audio video or even the little posters that we do we have this slogan when the public pays the public is served when advertisers pay advertisers are served hmm. now when that is your basic usp that is the that is the basic ethos that you're going to market with you can't clutter it with a youtube ad or google ads and stuff then then it dilutes the message yeah, so we don't uh, so we've disabled all advertising on our website as well as on you obviously I, i consider you as new media um what are your thoughts on old the old media then to you know traditional newspapers with ad based revenue models i mean what this is what i call legacy media i think the way legacy media has reacted to the new world is very different in case of broadcast and print and also i would say that in india it's very different from how it is you know in uk or the us for one the over dependence on advertising in india has been a, a huge blow to independence of the press in, in india generally the institutions here are not as robust as they are in you know older and more evolved democracies the possibility of pressure is a lot higher and that can really mess up your fundamental role in journalism if one gets compromised and because that was the established way of doing business for so long even when the digital you know world kind of exploded in our faces there was enough time for these legacy media outfits to kind of reconfigure themselves to the digital space um, and become less dependent on the kind of sales led advertising that they have you know like i just mentioned guardian started doing that very early in their lives and and there were others as well uh, you know new york times was the most successful but there was no reason that indian news platforms couldn't do it mm. i think there they missed a the trick some of them are trying to you know pivot to that right now but uh, i think it's too little too late many are dying uh, and covid has kind of spurred that 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 death a little quicker because obviously you do a lot of media analysis i mean in india which of the newspapers are doing it right then and which which ones are doing wrong then well uh, the you know, i which, which only... newspaper should i be buying 
<laughs> so I can get so it's not and so I know it's not fake news. Well, I would uh, highly recommend the Indian Express. Mm. I think it's a very good newspaper. And even the Times of India as a newspaper isn't bad. It's it's pretty good. Although their their television channel is abhorrent. But the problem is not that they are giving fake news. The problem with many of them is that they are not giving you all the news that they should because of over dependence on government ads like if you look at the indian newspapers even the best of indian newspapers in the last four months when the lockdown was announced uh, because of the pandemic hmm. industry completely stopped advertising i mean they were just struggling to survive yeah, yeah. and the first place they cut their costs is advertising so for about a month and a half the only ads you saw in newspapers were government ads now if your newspaper is running solely on government ads who will have the guts to go against the government so you end up compromising the quality of stories you do even if they're not fake news they they they're well done stories they're good reports they're important reports but they aren't the most important reports they you aren't doing exactly what journalism should be doing which is calling out those in power for the most offensive things that they're doing so that's the problem that model is flawed i'm not saying the people are flawed or the professionals are flawed it's a model that kind of compromises them but eventually if you're going to ask me 20 years from now convergence is going to happen you will get all your content through that one beam you know right now the cable television and internet are different although on many smart TVs you can access youtube and netflix eventually convergence will mean print video digital will all just come in to your life through one cable or through one beam whatever that be and then it'll be very difficult to tell who is print who is broadcast who is digital and that's when the real fun happens then then we are competing with the biggest brands on an equal footing which is why it is very important for the digital ecosystem that net neutral neutrality is not compromised True. and that is key uh and that's a battle that's being fought the world over yeah. how, how do you keep up with the news cycle then because you know i, I remember there was like seven days news cycle then it's like 24 hours news cycle 60 minute news cycle now uh you know new, news is always breaking <laughs> well if you're a news professional like i am or many people like me are uh, we're constantly consuming news through the day in fact my family often tells me that you really need to just log off very stressed because even i'm going on a holiday <laughs> uh you know i need to check what's on what's on the news so I have these two or three websites and like on twitter i follow all the news platforms yeah. um or you're on flipboard or something or the other uh the news cycle in in i mean in in us i guess trump decides the news cycle yeah. he says something outrageous and it goes into the news cycle although that is becoming less and less i think american uh, news platforms have realized the trick that he's been pulling off for the longest time so they don't fall into the same news cycle based on his outrageous utterances uh, i don't know how it is uh, in the uk but here in india you know news cycles are being defined and determined too often by the establishment mm-hmm. you know they will pull off some comment in parliament when it was in session or they will introduce some bill and you know the entire news ecosystem at least the legacy media goes into that frenzy and meanwhile five other things happen which don't get your attention but what does get the attention of the news platforms is the noisiest but not necessarily the most important uh, and this is a trick i think politicians and political parties around the world have realized yeah. are kind of gaming the system which is why as news professionals we have to be a lot more vigilant uh, of of not falling into that trap yeah because obviously, obviously you mentioned media personalities before whether they're on the left or the right they'll they'll just like complain about everything right in order to just get clicks i think it's become making, fashionable they can, they can make money out of the clicks and they get to appear on tv shows it's become like this wrestling match that is where the yeah. more outrageous you are the more time you get 
I mean, that's the problem with broadcast for sure. But but complaining about the news and how it's compromised or fake news has also been fed by you know prominent political figures around the world mm-hmm. for their own convenience. That kind of gives cover to many news platforms online to spread fake news. There have been recorded cases around the world, including this latest one that has been that has been taken off, I think, on Facebook and Twitter, uh, which was pushing this conspiracy theory. You know that sex racket being run by. By Hillary Clinton. Yeah. So, I mean, President of the United States, his son's Twitter account was suspended because he was pushing conspiracy theories by that platform for 11 hours. Trump tweets were restricted on that issue. While the digital space provides a really uh, exciting opportunity to news professionals to do something new, it comes with, you know, the other side of the coin of fake news proliferating at a speed that we've never seen before. Uh, but I think I'll take that bad with the good because eventually um, the net net result I think would be good. How, how do you deal with the trolls then? You you must get a lot of grief online. Does oh it bother man, you? Yeah. Does it not bother you? No, it doesn't. I I, I have absolutely no. <laughs> They're used to it now. Yeah, it just comes with the territory. Uh, the kind of you know hate you get when you put out reports or comments on a politician that others love and you don't. Mm. Uh, the right wing comes at you like with threats and to your family and stuff. But that, I mean, Twitter hate is Twitter hate, man. That's It's it's not significant. What, what's been your most popular piece then? News Laundry has done a bunch of stuff. I mean, my personal, one of my interviews that really went viral was of this, you know, filmmaker who's, I mean, he's not a really well-known filmmaker. He was well-known not for his films, but for the political posturing he was doing. Yeah. Saying the most uh, ridiculous, bizarre stuff. Uh, on on urban nationalism and all sorts of other ridiculous claims. And he was getting a lot of currency in legacy media as a commentator. So I did an interview with him where he famously said, and I kind of debunked some of the statements he'd made. He was lecturing in colleges. I mean, he got the kind of respectability where he was, his name is Vivek Agnihotri. He was going to colleges and speaking and speaking complete nonsense. So I did an interview with him where I pointed out to what all he was saying was completely untrue and demonstrably untrue. And he famously said, but facts are not facts. <laughs> I mean, I, I was wearing a white kurta. So I, I said, you know, you said this, but that's not true. You gave this data point on the amount of violence in urban cities, and that's not true, even by government's own records. So he says, uh, see, you can, th- that is your reality, is my reality. I said, look, there are some realities which overwhelming evidence is one way for example the kurta that i'm wearing is white that's the overwhelming evidence someone may say it's black but that person won't really be very credible so there are some facts that can't be disputed so he says no facts are not facts it depends on and then he just and that just became this meme it became this really <laughs> popular little clip that was shared uh, that did that did really well but uh, some of our ground reports have done really well we did uh, we did uh, a bunch of, we were doing one on the recent riots in Delhi. Okay. We're doing a series of reports. Those reports are doing really well. And those are important reports to do because over 50 people died in the capital of India mm-hmm. at a time when you know, Trump was visiting. And uh, the law enforcement agencies have just gone to sleep on that. And someone killed those people. Mm-hmm. And how can that happen in the capital of India and no reports be done? And because legacy media has not picked that story up, uh, we have decided to really focus on that. So that's a project uh, I'm very proud of that our wonderful reporters are doing on a day-to-day basis. How's that, how's that project going then? When do you think it'll be done? We've already got about four stories out. I think it's going to be a series of 15 reports, if not more, because we're not going to let go. Uh, so those uh, reports are already up on newslaundry.com. Uh, you can check them out. 
and um, there'll be more going forward. What are you most proud of then during your time at News Laundry? Well, I'm most proud of having come so far um, eight years with a model that we were told when we started will not work. You will have to depend on advertising. I'm proud that we have stuck to our guns and now many of those who used to tell me it won't work have turned their news platforms into subscription yeah. news platforms. Uh, I'm most proud that we have changed the way news models are looked at and all new entrepreneurs who are coming into the space are re-looking at what they can do as news entrepreneurs and the kind of you know commerce and and viability um, that they can that that can emerge from the space so that that is something that i'm proud of but other than news laundry the fact that we are here eight years later even if we're not very big but we are still here uh, for me is itself uh, something that gives me immense satisfaction so what what kept, what kept me going then in the early days when people were telling you not to do this? Well, uh, I guess just passion for news, yeah. It's just something that's addictive. Many people who have been journalists will tell you, although many quit for PR and corporate communication roles, a very, you know, the amount of journalists who stick to journalism, even though it doesn't pay very well, itself is evidence that it's it's something that's addictive. Uh, there is a... So many journalists can get really high-paying jobs or at PR company or in, in other large corporations, but they still stick with news. Uh, that's purely because... Uh, it's just something, it's a passion. You, 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 even the few year, years that I was doing non-fiction programming, although it was, you know, travel shows and food shows, and they were great fun, I missed news because I was a reporter first. So I think that's what keeps anyone in the news space going. Yeah. yeah good. So, so any advice to our listeners then who want to build their own media company? You know, what, what should they focus on? Know yourself. Being an entrepreneur is not for everybody. And that's fine. This general narrative that especially many of these top business schools and tech schools have going that you have to start up your own thing. Like four friends say, we'll get together and start up. Get together and start up. A, you don't have to start up anything. There is as much joy and pride in working for an organization as there is in starting up your own thing. That is one. For a startup founder, your skills, what you learn, your ability to make presentations, your ability to identify teams is all secondary. Your primary is what kind of a person are you, your emotional state. There's a very good piece. I think uh, it was in the New York Times. I'm not sure it's called the emotional cost of entrepreneurship. You know, when the it's the fan and when the chips are down don't underestimate how horrible it can be so more than your access to capital access to market access to technology and access to ideas make sure you have access to your emotional canvas and you understand what your emotional space is if you're the kind of person who can't take a punch in the jaw and get up and continue fighting no matter how bright you are don't try to start up something on your own get a bunch of partners because nothing can keep you going like a, a bunch of, of co-founders and partners. And like I said, it's not for everyone. And it's not some sort of virtue that you have to boast about. I'd be just as proud of what I was doing, where I was doing a good job in someone else's company. So uh, don't take just being a startup founder as a virtue in itself. It's not. It's just one of the things we do. Has anyone helped you on your journey? You know, uh, any mentors? I, I completely dismiss this whole self-made man narrative many people put out while i didn't inherit anything from my folks they're very middle class my dad's a retired army officer my mother's a retired school teacher but uh, for anyone you know to be able to create two companies with of a certain success lots of help has come along the way it could be from friends relatives mm -hmm. former employers mentors even if they're not mentors they're just former bosses who helped you out i i just think that 
you should value the advice of people who have done this before you because nothing is as valuable as someone who's walked that path and can make sure you don't repeat those mistakes i mean i won't start naming people but i mean news laundry and small screen are not just uh, the toil sweat and tears of of the founders it's also the help of many dozens of people who have helped us along the way we we must talk highway on my plate uh one of my favorite tv shows can you share some stories and oh man too many memories yeah. we are doing a podcast right now it's called highway on my podcast you know after lockdown happened yeah rocky pur prashant and i uh, kind of said that since everybody's locked down let's just start this podcast since we've driven all over india uh this was when we were making uh, non fiction shows we were doing shows for discovery nat geo there's a new channel coming up called ndtv good times which yeah. is a Indian uh, lifestyle channel, and they wanted a show on, uh, you know, on street side food. It was supposed to be a show basically along the Grand Trunk Road, which took a historical kind of view of this road that was made by Sher Shah Suri centuries ago. And driving down that road, Rocky and Mayur are, you know, old friends of mine. We had we we auditioned some fifteen twenty people, and none of them worked out. <laughs> Then I just get call. I said, "Look, you guys love traveling. We've known each other. I've I've run out of options. Why don't you just come to office? <laughs> let's just shoot in the park in the back. Let's have some fun and send that to the channel. And let's see if this works because this is the show they want. So from a show that wasn't necessarily supposed to be so high on the humor bit, because of the personality of the two anchors and our past association and friendship, which went back years, we just had a blast." and then from being just uh, you know um, along the grand trunk road it became a show that we went all across india and then we had to sri, sri lanka malaysia indonesia so there's so many stories man you just meet people on this on the roads and what's unfortunate is i don't think a show that like that can be done anymore because now with the super highways that have come up on india yeah all the roadside eateries have kind of are slowly dying not many people go to the state highways because when you can get to amdavad to badoda in like 2 hours why will you take the other highway that goes through anand and maharashtra and all that i mean we've met wrestlers we've met magicians we've met people who were walking like 500 kilometers like they were crawling to a place of pilgrimage we'd never heard of uh, we have been in areas that you told you can't go through that area late at night because there are axles there Mm. uh we have stopped there and sat by the river and and you know looked at a moon i mean the, the i mean we've driven to nagaland and arunachal where many indians in their lifetimes you know don't end up going we've had the good fortune of driving there not just flying there and driving around we drove from delhi to that place and some of the places that we've seen and been stuck in <laughs> and experienced there's a book there and I'll, I'll write it one day what was the best food that you had and what was the best place you visited it's so hard to say yeah. the best but i will say that when it comes to food meccas uh, amritsar is one punjab it has so many great food places that you can spend a week and you'll still have more places to go to uh, bangalore is another city which has a lot of a variety of really old food places and some yeah. new ones as well you have uh, hyderabad which has some amazing food Kerala is a very small state but um you you guys get but one of the my most memorable meals is actually in uh, Hyderabad it, it has i like spicy food mm. it had the most delicious highly spiced non vegetarian food that i've had so i highly recommend hyderabad if you like spicy non veg indian food yeah 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 and no, i spent two months in hyderabad so yeah i found the food very nice to be honest though on the, on the on the actual show itself was there any sort of food that you really hated but you had to say oh this is really nice I'll give it a 7 out of 10. <laughs> oh, we never did that because okay. I was not on 
anchors over but that is something they were very honest about when the food was bad it was they said it was bad in fact there was one place that we went to it was in kufri which is in the hills in the himalayas in, in uttarakhand and uh, this guy he was really sweet and he sang and he had a blast we had great fun hang out with him but when he actually served us the food he cooked it was so bad you know really funny and 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 i rocky and mayur looked into camera and said we love this guy come here hang out with him but don't eat what he cooks it is inedible who he was uh, I, i mean other than not being tasty i remember there was one place we went to in agra we enjoyed the meal it was delicious we loved it it was a really small hovel near the railway station and as we were walking out we saw the his kitchen and we all looked at each other we were like dude if i hope we wake up alive tomorrow because there were like there were rats visibly running around all the used cutlery and utensils were lying in this puddle which might as well have been a gutter and he was just like washing it there wiping it and putting it on the table and be like oh shit <laughs> so it tasted great i must say but but it's it's good to it, it's good not to see where it came from go back to news laundry then who would you like to interview well the prime minister of the country narendra modi i really like to speak with him what questions would you ask him oh man there's so many i you know just just his his vision his his ideas where they come from there's so many that i'd like to ask him about specific inconsistencies in his utterances down the years because he's never been asked those you see i would have picked someone else because the prime minister of the country is just too obvious a choice mm. ordinarily the prime minister of the country would have been interviewed by dozens of other people so there's nothing really left to ask him but in this particular case he hasn't been asked any difficult question in the last 6 years therefore he becomes the most you know interesting person to interview mm. how, how do you think he's done then out of 10 well uh, you see governance is a tricky business because you're a you're looking at economy you're looking at social fabric you're looking at you know short term gains long term costs the long term you know gains and short term costs so because it's very complex i wouldn't want to give him a rating mm. across everything i'd say on economy he's been average as good and bad or bad as many others uh, he's had to deal with some tougher situations uh, but on the social kind of messaging and the general way that society perceives politics and 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 inclusivity inclusiveness i'd give him a 2 or a 1 i think on that he has a country like india i think that is more important than economy a country like india will you know amble along it's like an elephant man even when we had like 2% rate of growth we are still here right i mean we're still considered one of the most important markets in the world we we are like 1.3 billion people yeah i mean even if we do very little work and not very productive work it'll still be more than what many others will be able to group together so in that environment the more important metric for me would be what was the social outcome of your messaging or your rhetoric or your politics and on that in my lifetime i haven't seen it as bad as it is now um there's one question i have to ask you uh, there's a guy on my twitter timeline An- anab goswami yeah um obviously we have listeners outside india he seems pretty controversial he is um i'd say the tucker carlson rolled into um raj and add a little bit of you know the ku klux klan and add a little bit of you know trump and give him an environment where he gets access and privileges that very few news organizations do mm-hmm. he is um he's someone who has transformed the news prime time debating format mm-hmm. 
into its lowest kind of common denominator it is it's the worst of big boss in a studio that's that's what he does mm-hmm. the kind of things that he says even uh, you know even fox would not allow that on their channel so that's who he is and um, he uh, doesn't like us and he has said so much on one of his prime time shows we think it's important to call out the kind of hate and bigotry that he pushes mm-hmm. and we do that I think it's important that people realize this this kind of stuff will just do so much damage it'll take years to undo. What what questions what questions would you ask him then? Oh man, he'd never uh, appear on a we've invited him we have a thing called the Media Rumble. Yeah. It's uh, one of the largest news conferences in Southeast Asia actually. Uh, so we host that in partnership with Teamwork Arts, the same people who uh, host uh, the Jaipur Literature Festival. uh we have invited him for talks interviews he would never take that he never talks to his peers because the amount of lies that he kind of spouts will be caught out so easily if he's sitting face to face you know he's made claims are demonstrably you know false about his past about the kind of stories he's done uh so it would be great fun to corner him on those uh also the way he conducts interviews with those who are in power it's almost like the servile uh, you know sucking up that he does and he calls it an interview uh, one would love to ask him about that and if he's interviewing someone who is not quite as powerful uh, you know he'll go to the extent of calling them terrorists he'll say what the hell he wants to their face <laughs> uh, so I'd, i'd like to ask him like how does he prepare for an interview with you know a student leader who has no clout and like bashing him and and, and what what gives of this servile persona that he kind of internalizes when he's interviewing someone pop <laughs> crazy man right look, last two questions uh have you got any books or blogs that you want to recommend anything that's helped you well um i think economics is a subject that one should really um, understand no matter what one does it serves you in any pursuit i think a fantastic podcast on economics that really simplifies it is um uh, npr's planet money it's a fairly old podcast i think it's almost 10 yeah. years old and i've been listening to it you know since then and they started a new one called the indicator um so those are both from npr they're fantastic podcasts i highly recommend you know those for they explain complex and not so complex economic phenomena and and issues simply and clearly okay yeah so last question then for people who want more information on news laundry what must they do well you can log on to newslaundry.com uh, you'll get an idea of the kind of stuff we do our philosophy our team the kind of work we believe in um you will see we have this podcast called the hafta it is a weekly podcast it started off as an exercise in transparency because we will believe that i mean and this is an age old debate uh, which i think is settled that there is no such thing as objectivity in people all people have prejudices and slants and biases the idea of the hafta is that the editorial team the the, the the heads of department it's a gab fest that we do every week and in the attempt that people can listen to us and get to know us so they know what our biases are yeah. or you read what we write mm-hmm. you know that this guy this is his bias so this yeah. woman has you know has this kind of background so this is where she's coming from and from being an exercise in transparency it became a most popular podcast for just discussions so if you want to really know what news laundry is all about uh, hafta is the podcast to listen to awesome sounds amazing i mean and thank you for coming on the show today much appreciated i wish you all the best hope you don't get arrested soon <laughs> thank you <laughs> hope you're right and thank you for inviting me and good luck to you too man oh cheers man cheers now bye 
Hello, Dr. Manvetti. Thanks for coming back on the show today. Thank you, Neil. Uh, it's uh, awesome and pleasure to be back with you. Awesome. Uh, what's been going on since I last spoke to you this time last year? Ironically, it has been exactly one year since we last spoke and the journey has been amazing. Last year, when you called me and when we were having a discussion, uh, we were again raising funds that time. And this year, again, we are raising funds. <laughs> but the journey has been uh, upslope. And uh, fingers crossed, uh, the product was not there last year. We were still talking about POCs, but yeah. now uh, the product is there. So the journey is still expanding. Awesome stuff. And for, for people who didn't listen the first time, what, what was your desire to sort of do this in the first place? To give a summary to the new audience, uh, my thought would be the desire was to answer the alternative protein uh, emerging concerns with respect to this industry uh, that they were trying to answer. And uh, it has been pretty amazing that uh, we have been positive on our approach and uh, the confidence within the team has been very uh, uplifting. Uh, we have been able to create some products which are chicken-based products as of now but in the last one year the uh, shelf has expanded mm -hmm. we have uh, expanded our R&D on almost different cell types mm -hmm. and not only we are focused uh, last year I remember I was telling you uh, we had uh, chicken minced chicken yeah. uh, we have now uh, strategized our uh, approach with respect to chicken kima mm -hmm. and also we have two more chicken products on shelf uh, hopefully we should be able to give out or uh, put it on shelf soon waiting for the policies to be in place and parallelly getting the approvals apart from that uh, we are also, uh, I have actually tested a few products mm -hmm. personally and last year the products were not edible but today they are edible, fully functional. So we are working uh, with authorities for waiting for the policies and uh, fingers crossed. It must have been a magical moment then when you first tried the product and it tasted quite nice. Very nervous during those times because uh, my hands and my body were shivering because you you never know what happens next. So, but uh, it was pretty awesome. We were able to achieve the taste uh, that is required because, as you know, uh, I am a pure uh, non-vegetarian by nature. So I try everything out. So there is a specific uh, peculiar peculiar taste that I am looking for, mm -hmm. and we have been able to magically uh, reach to that. Apart from that, uh, last time the concern was uh, we were looking for something to make it uh, from non-edible to edible, mm -hmm. we have achieved it. Uh, also, because of the wide range of products that I'm discussing with you, we have been able to basically uh, solve so certain pain points of this industry. Uh, there are two major pain points. The one is taste and the another is texture. Uh, because uh, our focus is minced chicken, uh, the texture does not uh, become our pain point. But yes, we are focusing on taste and edible, of, of course. And yes, the journey has been pretty awesome. What does it taste like then? <laughs> <laughs> it tastes pure chicken and uh, to give it out through your audience uh, it has been uh, the right way to make it more uh, friendly customer friendly would be people out there have been trying uh, plant-based products for the last one year yeah. uh, and there has been a lot of hype uh, not hype exactly but a lot of expectations on those grounds they are, those guys are already trying their best to match with respect to customer feedback I have been uh, reporting or we have been getting uh, ground reports from how different industries are working and how this specifically plant-based sector is working and trying to achieve it. We have understood that the taste is the key point and this is what is actually uh, hindering the whole growth and where uh, somehow Impossible or other companies have already taken a uh, pace or level up but everyone is trying to catch up and with respect to what we are doing we have already achieved that and uh, it is pure chicken again the only difference is it is lab grown but yes it satisfies the taste buds of non-vegetarians yeah you're still alive as well that's good <laughs> um, yes, yes. yeah so so from a science, scientific point of view then how are you evaluating taste 
Because obviously everyone's got different taste buds. Uh, to answer that, last time, where I left last time, I would be trying my best to give you some new in scientific insight that we have experienced in the last one year. That is, uh, apart from uh, the role these chicken cells or any uh, cell plays in providing the protein content or whatever are the ways or scientific ways to regulate that, uh, there are specific taste uh, solutions that need to be resolved. And non-scientifically, uh, the answer to that is flavonoids. And what we do is we do not exactly use use these flavonoids but it is something similar to those flavonoids we try to understand which flavonoids uh, mimic these uh, chicken uh, like experiences and that actually helps us enhance uh, the expectation or enhance or achieve that expectation that a chicken eater or a vege- non-vegetarian eater wants. And this is how we have tried to resolve it. And uh, it has been pretty amazing on those lines. In terms of smell then, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yes, on a personal note, uh, what being an Indian again, uh, this uh, you would be able to attach to uh, the uh, ingredients that are used to cook chicken basically yeah. enhance or help in enhancing the whole flavor or the smell of the product. Yeah. And what we have understood after again realizing how plant-based are trying to resolve that, they try to, uh, once you go out in the market, there would not be any chicken nugget uh, by any plant-based company which is a uh, chicken nugget by itself. Mm. It would be in combination with other product types. For example, in a burger, it will have attached to it certain other parameters that will add on to the smell and the juiciness to the product. Likewise, in what we are trying to do is, uh, we are basically mixing our strategies with respect respect to the Indian cuisines Mm -hmm. and trying those uh, inputs or ingredients of the cuisines to enhance the smell to the product. Mm -hmm. So apart from taste, we are also working on smell and that is why in initial uh, uh, messages, I told you that our product, we have increased our product types uh, with respect to chicken keema and the expectation are we should have more than five products on shelf in the next few months. When when can the general public try this then? Uh, We are trying our best to make the product available to the public either through tasting events or on shelf as soon as possible Mm -hmm. because we have already achieved what we had been working for the last one year. So uh, let me try to uh, do some backup and then come uh, to what we are doing. That is uh, last year we were at POC level that is proof of concept level. We We were on only trying to understand or uh, identify solutions to the problem that this industry was trying to resolve. In the last one year, we have been able to expand our team, focus primarily on R&D. Even COVID uh, did impact us for one month, but we are back on our foot trying to resolve that problem. We have, I think, done more than five, six types of POCs. Mm -hmm. We have then moved to a market viable product. And because of that transition, we are now ready to industrialize our product Mm -hmm. on all fronts and this is what we are now gearing up and again uh, the product should be out there if uh, if from what we see it if the government policies are uh, out there in the next six months or within 12 months maximum Mm -hmm. uh, as per the global perspective again the product should be out the next day the policies are out how are you branding it then have you started that process as of now uh, we have not started that process Mm -hmm. because again uh, we are in the transition of moving from lab to industry now that uh, step basically depends on how the funding would come how we would be raising money Mm -hmm. 
and uh, what would be the thought process of the co-mentor or invent or investor that would help us gear up so these are certain challenges because uh, frankly and honestly we are researchers by nature mm-hmm. uh, sales is not our cup of tea so it's better not to get into that until and unless we do not have the right person to do that mm-hmm. so this is something which we are trying to resolve and it will take its own again uh, what i told in the last conversation that is be patient it will take its own sweet time mm-hmm. and talk talk about these other products then you know what why those products specifically Is it based on the Indian market? Uh, I would uh, slightly differ from what I told last time that we, our intention was to target Indian market. But now gradually in the last one year, we have realized that apart from targeting or working uh, with keeping a specific market in mind, it's better to expand globally mm-hmm. because the potential of your outputs or your POCs or MVPs increases. Mm-hmm. And the chances of becoming more profitable on grounds of the balance sheets or becoming more achievable increases because you get a better perspective of how the world sees to the mm-hmm. product. So uh, during this phase, the uh, we were practically, let me let me be honest again, we were not thinking of expanding our, our portfolio. The intention was just to bring out at least one product to the people and what happened was because we were trying to resolve the taste and smell concern Mm. we uh, somehow stepped on the other product type and uh, because of this uh, our openness with respect to our application on this domain we were able not only to think on the lines of chicken cells Mm. using chicken cells as the base but we were also able to think on different cell types Mm. so we do call ourselves as as the India's first chicken cell based meat company but uh, you never know in future because this might not be the right Mm. time to disclose it but you never know in future we might become pioneers on other cell types Mm -hmm. so fingers crossed we have a lot to offer and uh, we have been thankful to the people who have been patient enough in listening to us and uh, helping us out through this story yeah awesome stuff yeah you mentioned policies and you know in terms of what the law says what what are the specific policies then let me be uh, let me try to deviate from uh, what we have been talking or talking or what has been our perspective because it will give you an idea or give the audience an idea how this domain works or what is happening in the last uh, six months to be precise. Uh, In Jan 2020, that is before COVID even happened or there was even thought of COVID, Mm. the policies or the governments were just thinking of it as something which is on shelf, a policy which is on table to be framed, reframed on the basis of their specific requirements and understanding the impact of it. But what has happened during this COVID uh, time is the realization that yes, you need solutions to answer this particular problem because COVID has happened uh, for the first time as in our generation specifically, there have been numerous pandemics before also, but because of the understanding of humans to how to resolve a problem and because of the expansion on all fronts, be it economic or other fronts, the, uh, everyone is trying to resolve those impacts. The best example to understand is China. And uh, the, in there, there is a huge food scarcity. I did not want to go politically, yeah. but I'm trying my best to give you the outest or the modest example. Uh, if you see China specifically, uh, there has been a sudden surge because I have been specifically monitoring how cell-based meat is evolving. In the last six months itself, last year when we talked, there were only 25 plus companies. Mm-hmm 
in cell based domain and today there are more than 55 companies in cell based domain wow. apart from that apart from that more than 10 companies which were early into earlier into cell based domain have now shifted their gears into alternative protein domain wow. by that i mean specifically that they have now shifted gears in providing solutions to cell based meat companies and this actually shows not only the importance of this particular domain on the privatization factor or the economic factor but also shows the eagerness within the community or the political communities to pump or push this product mm. let me try to give an uh, answer from an indian perspective in india uh, the regulatory body that is fssai has been trying its best to frame out certain policies and i have been monitoring them they have been day and night putting their thoughts into it to deliver something that actually answers both the domains that is not only cell based domain but is uh, but is also able to keep a track of plant based domains now this is a slight irony because i am from cell based domain but i somehow again and again tumble upon plants plant based uh, products because of the reason again in the last 6 months itself this particular plant based domain has erupted with respect to number of companies and the products that are out there mm. in india itself the number of companies in the last 6 months has blown apart from 0 to 30 mm. so you can understand the impact this is having and this is without even the policies being in place to for these uh, specific product type now there are certain concerns but yes be it india be it eu be it us everyone is trying their best to put at least some policies because companies like us are gearing up with the product and we are in dire need for certain policies to push it to the market because people are realizing the importance of it mm-hmm. not only with respect to the availability of the product but also the environmental uh, solutions it provides and frankly i do not want to offend any one because today there is no cell based product on shelf that is the only reason i feel personally i might be wrong in my observation plant based has been has had a boom with respect to a, a global perspective and i personally feel again the day even one company or even one of my co companies or people who are working in the same domain is able to deliver at least one product the day would not be soon that the percentage share would increase as compared to plant based so this is again in my perspective and government policies have started to realize the importance of this because if uh, let, let me again talk on the indian front mm-hmm. india now talks of atmanirbhar bharat and if on all those fronts we are able to develop which is something in house the day is not far away that we are able to resolve our own concerns and uh, every country has started to realize bit of on any uh, political factor but it has started to realize the importance of self sufficiency mm-hmm. so yes they are gearing up and there there is positivity on all fronts not only indian government but be it eu or us everyone is gearing up and uh, fingers crossed it should happen soon mm-hmm. you do lots of monitoring um do you have do you have time to sleep <laughs> uh, there are sleepless nights almost because i remember the day covid happened and uh, our labs had to be shut you would not believe uh, today might be a, might have been a different call altogether we might have been talking about how the product tasted for the people because uh, i tasted my first product in feb 2020 mm. and uh, the intention was i was coming to uh, us first in april mm. i had a lineup of uh, meetings and conferences to attend and the intention was to launch our first product in april itself 
Israel to the people. Yeah. So through be it a tasting event or whatever is the format. But uh, because of that specific COVID and 15 days lockdown, we had to completely shut down our labs. That did impact us because and th- because of that, I lost sleep for 40 nights. The reason primarily being whatever efforts we had put in for the last two to three years and whatever achievements we had made, we had to bring it down to zero. And it was pretty hard to restart everything from scratch and again put it on 100. So these are certain challenges but again because that happened I would be upfront about what we learned because that happened we were able to shell out more product types mm. we were able to think on different lines so at the end of the day what ends up is good for everyone and whatever happens is actually something there is something positive behind it and um, i'm interested to know how many sort of prototypes you went through then before you decided to try it the best example or the best way to answer this would be i was literally uh, everyone at my home was shouting at me because because i was bringing those products from lab and cooking it at home mm. so for i i think for f- four five days continuously there was no cooking and apart from what i was doing and everyone was shouting because they were not able to eat the regular stuff that we had at home and so i had faced that brunt but it has been a lovely experience since then that's good uh, yeah you you've expanded the team um so are you hiring scientists then i mean how, how would you go about hiring a scientist what what questions would you ask them <laughs> uh, my approach is slightly different uh, i don't know i have uh, frankly i have not been on the other side of the interview that is giving interviews mm. but i have been the part more mostly taking interviews oh, okay. so from whatever whatever i have learned that is uh, i try to give out problems to the person for me uh, the person's degrees do not matter mm-hmm. for me what matters is the value that person brings in either through whatever emotions or feelings he has towards the approach that he is adopting and what is his problem solving ability because remember one thing uh, it is easy to find out problems but it is very difficult to give out solutions so uh, i try to see it from a different perspective and whenever we try to hire someone or wherever we are trying to go for any interview i simply uh, i st- he, i have i have the person shows me his cv or the resume i slide, uh, simply put it away and start posing questions to him my intention is yes hire the best brains possible but parallelly also look for people who apart from best brains also have the best way to solve problems because at least whatever he or she is doing i should be confident enough with respect to whatever approach he has adopted so this is my strategy and this is what we have been working and touchwood touchwood it has been uh, positive on those lines because there have been times where i practically uh, lost uh, confidence with the product but the team uh, reworked on it and i got surprises on many times that they were able to deliver the solution which we even did not thought would be the answers to that. Yeah, you, you, you talked about raising funding. That's gone well, hasn't it? Uh, the last year uh, was pretty amazing. I remember again, last time when we were talking, same day, same, uh, same time, yeah. I was talking to someone uh, who were willing to fund us and ultimately they did, they did fund yeah. us. And uh, and uh, ironically, this time also we are talking to someone, <laughs> and we are at the same stage which we were on discussion levels last time. <laughs> okay. But yes, so uh, you never know. You might be my lucky charm on those lines. <laughs> Fingers <laughs> crossed <laughs> again. <laughs> so we are working to basically expand uh, our team, yeah. and we are working to raise funds to practically industrialize the strategy that we have created, mm-hmm. and uh, working uh, on a new front. Because uh, let me put it this way. 
way. We have been working in-house in a specific lab, which is again leased out from some other uh, sources. So uh, now in order to put our products to shelf, we have to be some regulatory, uh, we have to pass certain regulatory procedures. Mm-hmm. And in order to pass those regulatory procedures, we have to have our own in-house facility or in-house setup. So we are creating those because that requires a lot of huge pumping yeah. on financial fronts. And the intention is not only to grow on the infrastructure pattern, but also expand on the manpower pattern. Because this is one thing which I have realized. You should obviously invest in yourself, but parallelly, you should invest in your team because if they are happy, no matter what happens, if they are convenient with respect to their approach, no matter what happens with your group, they will be able to take you to the next level. And we have seen this happening in COVID because as I told you, we were slightly on zero mode during the 15, 40 days Mm. lockdown. But once we restarted everything, the pace has been enormous. And that is why I want to now ease out my uh, manpower or my team in order they achieve the desired products well before. In terms of the cost then, I suppose that's really important as well as the taste. There's always someone, a company that could do it cheaper, as it were. You know, obviously consumers will always go nine times out of ten, go on price. Uh, I remember last time I had told you that uh, we are working to basically, again, I would be discussing on the lines of INR, that is Indian rupee, yeah. and kilograms kg. Okay. So I was talking to you last time that we are trying to put our product or pitch our product in a range which is 1,000 INR per kg. And uh, the intention is to basically achieve it in the next few one year. But yes, we have somehow touched that base and we have realized one more aspect to it that this industry gets divided into two product types the one is the raw chicken and the another is the processed chicken whatever is the background to it i would not be going on those lines Mm. But we have realized we are starting to hit the pain point of the processed chicken industry. Mm. And uh, we have somehow figured out a way. And uh, we are below this 1000 INR per kg marketing value for our product that is processed chicken product. And uh, we would be able to achieve or achieve the market requirement or industry requirement of 50% capping. Let's see, fingers crossed on those lines. Uh, Everything is going as of now, touch wood on the right track. so waiting for some things to happen and develop and let's see how it goes. Yeah, Last time you came on the show, I asked you about what we're going to be eating in 100 years time. I don't know if you can remember what you said. It was very strange. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I told you water bubbles, right? <laughs> for us listeners, you didn't listen. Yeah. Go, on, go on, explain that. Last time I told you a thought that I had read somewhere that was in the next few coming years, the situation might be that you would be drinking a bubble of water and just putting that bubble in your mouth, just like a bubble gum and water pops out uh, and you drink it. Uh, so uh, this was the last time's thought. And uh, this this year, uh, the thought will be slightly different. Uh, you would be amazed. We have been thinking on this uh, again because you asked it. So yeah, I will again yeah. put it, you might be the lucky champ to the company yeah, itself. Yeah. So because you asked it. So we th- started to think on those lines also. And we realized that uh, last time also I told you one thing that the intention is to give out a product which makes it look like you are eating chicken from... Uh, a chicken which is actually taken from a chicken which is healthy and live sitting next to you. Today, the thought process is you are actually eating that chicken, which is again taken from a chicken which is live and sitting next to you. But apart from that, the thought might be whatever you are eating, it is a pool of those proteins and carbohydrates which are required to keep your body healthy. Because last time I spoke to you about, um, you talked about fish and bacon. 
where are we on yeah. that uh, for that uh, that time or last year we were actually thinking on working on those lines but today i can confidently say that we are on the poc mode and uh, the intention is to immediately roll out few products on chicken uh, lines and then start working on these uh, formats also how will you how how does that work in terms of fish then slightly different yeah. but uh, uh, slightly different but the cooking i should not say the cooking but development is the methodology is same because the technology that we have developed or the process that we have developed answers or get applies to all cell types mm-hmm. so the technology is same the methodology changes slightly Yes, uh, for chicken we have already worked out on the taste and smell part, but for fish and beacons we are now gearing up to study on those lines. So it will take another hopefully one month to gear up on those. Change anything? Uh, looking back, the best thing I would answer that is uh, I think I had uh, with some confidence told you that be patient, and I had spoken very pretty loud words on those lines. Yeah. But at the end of the day, when I speak to what I spoke on that particular conversation, I feel that that was the right approach. And yes, uh, these days uh, because of even COVID, people have started to have that. Desire. aspiration to be successful enough but again uh, my only answer to that would be be patient and be confident with your approach the day will come when the sun will rise the sun will rise Dr. Bhavati thank you for coming in your startup show if people thank want you. more information on clear meat what must they do they should just write to me at info@theratclearmeat.com or just visit www.clearmeat.com awesome thank you doctor much appreciated thank you neil awesome. thank awesome. you neil awesome. lovely talking to you yourself wish you all the best Hello Vivek, thanks for coming back on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Uh, what's happened since I last spoke to you in August 2016? Oh, uh, we are living in a different world altogether. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the I think the biggest change which has happened since then and the most of the changes happened in last 6 months where acceptance of the virtual world has now gone up significantly and all the products and services which are oriented towards digital world they have seen a massive massive uh, interest from retail investors or retail public mm-hmm. so we are also beneficiary of that and there's so much work and uh, no time very less time awesome so can you share some stats then uh, and downloads and user numbers since we last spoke i think last last time i spoke to you i think you had about 50,000 downloads on the on your stock edge app yeah it was uh, <laughs> i glad you remember that number uh-huh. and we i remember that we did uh, celebrated by cutting a cake oh, nice. uh, <laughs> you know but fortunately now we have almost uh, more than 1.5 million downloads wow and almost uh, 100 uh, 1 million registered users so people are actively using it there are more than uh, half a million monthly active users mm-hmm. and around 2 uh, to 2 and a half uh, 100,000 people who are weekly active users so the journey has been great uh, and i think the most of the growth has has happened in last uh, Eight months to twelve months or so, mm-hmm. and uh, we are looking forward to do some really, really good, incredible stuff. Awesome! Well done! Congratulations! You have you have to celebrate by having more cake. Yeah, <laughs> suddenly. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. Just go back to the start then. What what sort of problem you know are you solving? So what we are trying to do is you are democratizing uh, financial markets to everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh. And so when I'm saying democratizing means uh, giving equal right of everything to everyone. Mm-hmm. That's the whole uh, hypothesis of democracy is. So when I when I relate it with financial market means that uh, 
you know, financial market has always been uh, a den for few uh, institutional investors or few HNIs, and they have created very, very large wealth out of this. Mm. And a retail investor, individual investor, has not been able to create a very large capital by investing in markets. Mm-hmm. So there is a reason behind that. And if you remember, I told you in 2016 that, you know, the, the reason are clearly that the level of education is less and people don't have access to data, and largely people have uh, unbiased, uh, have biased analytics or biased research services mm. from various agencies. So what we are trying to do is uh, creating a unbiased setup where people are getting to learn, people are getting access to data and certain unbiased analytics, and it's actually uh, giving that power of doing things on your own, mm. which is helping individual investors to come up and and not do what exactly other intermediaries are asking them to do, creating their own framework of uh, looking at things the way they want it to be. How do you sort of onboard people if they're sort of like the first-time investors then? So the first thing for a first-time investor is to learn. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's where I think most of the time and energy and focus should go to. So we have this product called uh, elonmarkets.com, which is India's largest uh, financial market uh, training portal. Yeah. Uh, It's a marketplace where there are more than 100 plus experts who are creating specialized content Mm -hmm. in the domain of financial management. Now, there are are a lot of free content. Uh, We create a lot of free content and post it in YouTube as well. So in our YouTube channel now, we have almost 350,000 YouTube subscribers Mm -hmm. and and almost 15 million views of our videos. Wow. So creating a lot of free content and then... Uh, letting people identify their specialized need and then catering to that need by offering them that specialized course Mm. uh, is something which we started with. And now we have almost uh, 350,000 learners in Elon Markets who have taken some module from us. Mm -hmm. So what, what, what makes the most money then? Is it the app or the e-learning stuff? And why is that? So, you know, the first thing when we started learning, the focus was more on the youngsters, yeah. uh, age age bracket of around 21, 22. Uh, pe- typically, people who are kick-starting their career and they want to take career opportunities in financial market as a, one of the serious op- options for them. Mm. But as we progressed, as we matured as an organization, we found that there is a massive gap in uh, in providing right learning and right data to even experienced people who are already there in the market. And that's where we created Stockage in 2016. And that also serves a bridge between theoretical understanding of market to the practical application of that theoretical understanding. So it has every data point one would need to analyze what has been taught to that person. So to answer your question, most of the users who are experienced people or who have just learned from us and now gaining experience, they are on Stockage. And they subscribe to the premium uh, features of Stockage as well. Mm. And uh, most of the youngsters or people who want to go for some kind of an upskilling of specific thing, they are on Elon Markets. So a lot of people who are there in both, uh, they want to learn as well as they want to practice. Both of them, uh, they are there in both both these modules. Interesting stuff. So yeah, so you've gone from fifty thousand dollars to 
So 1.5 million downloads. Um, in terms of scaling, you know, how, how have you scaled that? You know, from a business point of view and a tech point of view. So in terms of, I think in 2016 we were around 25, 30 employee company. Mm. Today we are 140 people. Wow! And you know everything uh, uh, which has been developed uh, in our products, be it uh, learning videos or content or blog or or the software itself, everything is in house. Yeah. So out of 140, I would say 30 odd people would be on the tech side. Mm. Uh, around 40 odd people would be on the knowledge and the research side, mm. and the rest 50, 60 people would be on the yeah. on the business development and the operation side. Mm-hmm. Ah. In terms of revenue, yeah. uh, we are doing fairly good. Uh, we are uh, monthly EBITDA positive. So good point is that that we are not burning any money anymore. Mm. Uh, the hard part of uh, you know, money burn or investment in the business has is now behind us. That's now good. we are making money every month. And, uh, you know, in terms of revenue, uh, we are doing around, in rupee terms, we are doing around 1.25 crore every every uh, every month. Mm, nice, nice. How does that make you feel? It's satisfactory because when you do business for the for the purpose of making money, as well as adding value to society at large, that's, that's where you get the maximum kick. Uh, I'm not the kind of person who does business just for the sake of valuation. I'm very, very focused on creating sustainable business with sustainable product and very, very large followings of that product. And I'm very satisfied the way things have progressed with us. Interesting. What, what, was it always your ambition to do this then? Well, uh, you know, um, I'm a, I would say that I'm a very, very, um, a very unique entrepreneur mm. because I, I'm sure that there are many people like me, but I want to co- consider myself to be unique because I keep on identifying new opportunities for myself. I get inside that opportunity for a period and then I always work with good partners and I've been blessed with partners in all my ventures and these are the guys who actually lead the business after a part of time. So since my uh, career, uh, I started my career in 2006 mm. and since then I've been involved in building around three businesses with multiple partners mm. and uh, you know for four or five years I get involved in that business I give shape to that business mm. and we create some you know sustainable business model around that business mm. and then I keep on identifying new opportunities mm. To those businesses nice. and then i jump into those opportunities oh, nice. but how do you go about finding great partners and what, what 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 qualities what skills are you looking for someone completely different to you or something similar to you well the most important thing is the person should be like me uh we should go along well uh and there should be very strong complementary skill uh so you know i i always uh seek uh, people with similar kind of a temperament otherwise it's very difficult to work with people with below temperament or higher than mind temperament mm-hmm. uh and uh, the second is that if i have a certain skill set i always want someone with a better skill set or a complementary skill set to join me mm-hmm. for example in stockage my tech partner is uh, my school friend uh, we have studied together since class one. Oh, nice. And yeah, and it's been almost, uh, I would say, almost 35 years wow. since we have been together. Yeah. But he was an independent businessman uh, running his own software company. Mm. And I was, uh, I was a financial market guy. So we thought that there is a good marriage possibility that I need his technical skills 
and he would need my understanding of market mm. and that's led that led to development of stockage mm. Mm. but do, do you still consider this as a startup then or is this like a proper business now but a fully matured business now because you obviously you got 140 people on the payroll now it's not it's not exactly a not not working out your mom's basement anymore <laughs> oh, so you know technically uh, every new business these days are startup you know yeah. uber is a startup so and you know there's a reason why uh, i was reading this article about google and why gmail was beta for a long period of time mm. because you know it's it's is the state of thought process inside a company where you say that your product is always beta because you are continuously improvising on it and a tech product should never be a final product it should always be a beta product so the the same logic is Well, you should always have a thought in your mind that you are a startup, no matter how much value you have created, because that gives a different sense of energy and youthness into the company, and it also drives you, uh, given the fact that you are also young and driving a young company. Mm. What can go wrong then? Oh, do you have sleep sleepless nights and stuff like that? So I'm almost forty-two, right? And you know. Uh, at some point of time i would like to settle down because i can't keep on working for 16 years 17 17 16 to 17 hours a day wow but the fact that you are a startup you tend to spend so much time uh, consciously or subconsciously mm. so uh, so that obviously disturbs your mental state and your personal life and your your uh, emotional well-being mm. so yeah after a point of time you don't want to be uh, you don't want to feel like a startup You want to feel like someone who is a businessman and making a sustainable business. Uh, so I think we, as an organization, have reached that stage. Now we are making monthly uh, money. We are making profit. So in few probably months or years, now we will kind of remove this tag of being a startup and become more like a businessman. Now is this a success? Then? I think success uh, for me directly comes uh, with two factors, and both are human in nature. one is how many people you have employed because i think number of employees and the satisfaction of the employees is drive success and uh, that's my barometers uh, doesn't mean that a one person organization cannot be successful sure it can be but for me being able to give employment opportunity to so many people and they are still there with us and satisfied that's my biggest kick mm. uh the second again is again people oriented is the customers that how many customers do you have and are they satisfied or are you trying to solve any particular of that customer and are they renewing your service or not at the moment these two are giving you a reasonable size i think you can define yourself to be successful mm. um we didn't talk about your background before uh, in the last last podcast because uh, you were like a, working on a trade desk for 15 years employing 150 yes, traders so all right what what was that like yes So I'm a third generation financial market guy. Mm-hmm. My grandfather was a trader, my father is a trader. So it was a very natural extension for me to uh, start uh, a bigger trading desk. Mm-hmm. So I did my chartered accountancy, company secretary and an MBA from IIM Indore. Then I joined Bombay uh, in a, in a in a firm for as a commodities analyst. Mm-hmm. And then I worked there for a couple of months before I came back to calcutta mm. and i started my own uh, commodities trading desk so from commodities trading to currency trading to multi asset trading mm. so we have around 150 traders now trading on our behalf and my brother is now full time into it and he's looking at it and since 2013 i changed my goal post mm. and i started focusing on 
you know, creating products which will give larger value addition in society. And that's where Elon Markets and Stockage became my passion and my new baby. Yeah. My trading desk, fortunately, is doing good and my brother and my family is taking care of it. So it's pretty much a stable cash cow and we are trying to create growth enterprise around Stockage. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what do you think are the qualities needed to be a good trader then? No, let's say I wanted to work for you as a trader. What what would you look for? As a trader, I think uh, I would say thirty percent is your hard skills, seventy mm. percent is your soft skills. So soft skill is typically the temperament, mm. uh, your ability to uh, act fast, mm. your presence of mind, and uh, your ability to square up your trade and uh, incur losses. You know. The most important trader is the guy who knows when to incur losses, okay? Uh, and no successful trader run for profit. Right. Most successful traders globally will run for least losses. And according to them, profit maximization will automatically happen if you know the art of reducing your loss, okay? So that will only happen once you develop that temperament thing and for that understanding of uh, market psychology, uh, the uh, the emotional part of dealing with the situation. So that takes time. Over a period of time, you build it. So most, you know, if you see, if you ask people that if you want to get into trading, what do you need to do? Then people will say, learn technicals, learn market behavior, etc. I always say that first you learn about you, about your behavior, your style, and match that style with the market and see whether there is any edge which you can create for yourself. So I think that's the most critical thing. Uh, what works for you may not work for me. Mm, interesting. How, how do you deal with the losses then? Obviously, it's, it's going to happen. The bad, the good days as well as the bad, the bad days. Um, you must mm. have a few bad days. How, how have you, how have you, co how cope, mentally coped with that then? So my losses are always to the extent of uh, the amount which will not disturb my evening evening sleep. <laughs> okay. So because I've defined that risk management for myself, that if I lose certain hundred thousand dollars or something then will it that uh, will i get into any kind of pressure mm. my answer is no then i know that amount is a good yardstick for me to offer my risk management mm -hmm. so i don't go overboard i have my limits all set and uh, i know where to square up my trade um yeah let's talk about investing then um what are the common mistakes investors make you know first time investors so the most common mistake people make is they get into market as a trader and when the stock price goes against them they consider that to be investment so if i'm buying a stock at say 100 dollars mm. and the stock price went down to 80 uh, rather than squaring up their position considering that the stock has gone into downward trend people typically assume it to be their investment book mm. so uh, uh, investment biasness gets originated because of price movement so first thing first people have to do is when they're investing, they can't look at price. Typically, a good stock is always expensive, so mm -hmm. which will not allow you to buy. And a weak stock will always be cheap. Mm -hmm. And your tendency will always be to buy cheap and sell expensive. Whereas the whole world has changed now. The world is now momentum oriented. So you have to buy expensive to sell more expensive. Interesting stuff. And how much should I invest? You know, let's say, is it... 10% of my personal wealth, 20%? See, uh, I, I would suggest, you know, I'll give you a formula that depending upon what your age is, mm. you 
uh, you say 100 minus your age mm-hmm. should be allocated for your risky investments so suppose your age is 40 mm. and uh, that means 60% of your capital should be allocated for risky assets which typically is equity or mutual funds around equity mm. the rest 40% should be around bond market or gold mm. okay and obviously uh, you have to decide the allocation of bond market and gold as well uh uh within that 40% but suppose your age is 80 then 80% would be around bond market and gold and 20% will be on equity i think if someone follows this simple method of 100 minus your age and using that uh, numerator to come out with your allocation required in risky assets and we talk about risky assets then obviously equity becomes the most prevalent risky asset and obviously there is a science in this equity also that what kind of uh, capital allocation should be there in sector wise or in stock wise so that whole science has to be understood before you can charter a proper wealth creating plan for yourself mm-hmm. yeah you mentioned emotions and stuff like that before um what about finding things like gut, using your gut reaction your intuition i think gut is a very very important phenomenon and i think lot of places human gut has been scientifically defined as well so yes you should believe your gut uh, uh, ultimately tools could uh, provide you right uh, framework to implement your gut but finally is the gut which act for example i can give you a revolver hmm. which could be very very sophisticated but ultimately how to target the target is something which your gut will say at the end of the day that yes i feel the target is now possibly going to hit so i think human ability in terms of uh, the final leg of this whole uh, journey where finally you have to take a gut feeling that yes this is the right thing i am doing that plays a very very important role in the final leg of the implementation in terms of stocks and currency trading um mm-hmm. what's the best <laughs> uh that's a tricky one so i don't consider one stock to be the best mm-hmm. i think uh, i have this philosophy of uh 10 10 10 where i tell people that you know just focus uh in 10 stock so say when you start in stock market mm-hmm. uh this should be your formula 10 10 10 means uh take one stock every month and over a period of 10 months just focus on 10 stocks right and uh, allocate uh not more than 10% of your capital per month should go as a loss okay uh so if suppose any particular month you lose 10% of your capital you stop trading for that month and prepare yourself for the next month again so that maximum loss which you can incur say unfortunately if suppose you lose every month then maximum loss you will incur uh, over a period of 10 months will be your 100% capital mm. so at least you are not leveraging yourself mm. so if you do this 10 10 10 means 10 stock for a period of 10 months with maximum 10% loss per month you will develop a very strong temperament framework for yourself you will develop that discipline and if you restrict yourself to 10 stocks for a period of few more years I think you will get the perfect, perfect recipe of making money from those ten stocks. Mm-hmm. In terms of stocks, are you saying global stocks or domestic stocks, or does it not matter? See, again, these ten stocks will be part of your uh, circle of competence. Mm. So you know, if I if I understand that company, if I understand their business model, that will become part of my ten stocks. So it could be 
sitting in India, I would like to invest in Amazon because I like their business model. Or I also like to invest in Reliance because I like their business yeah. model as well. So it could be combination of uh, international as well as domestic or it could be only domestic, mm-hmm. depending, depending mm-hmm. upon how much you are able to understand about a particular stock as well as sector. Mm-hmm. What What's the best stock you've invested in then? The best stock I've invested for the last uh, five to six months is Reliance Industries. Mm-hmm. I, I, I believe that Reliance uh, is a company where Google and Amazons have done at a global level. Mm. Reliance is doing it at an India level. Um, I have a simple mathematics. I say that, you know, Google is almost uh, 800 to $900 billion company and uh, Facebook is a $600 billion company. Now, the common thing among them is the access of user, access of user information, yeah. which they are monetizing. True. I think Reliance is going to be one such company which has every information about the Indian customer. And they are they've started monetizing it by offering them multi, multi, multiple services, including broadband service, including uh, including uh, uh, household things uh, through Geomart, etc. So I think Reliance... Uh, with only 150 50 billion dollar valuation whereas other people are much higher valued i think reliance is a company which should always be a buy but it has become expensive i'll not deny it mm. i've been saying this since uh, the stock price was 100 rupees now it is 2200 the stock is expensive but i believe the stock will remain expensive always mm. so whenever there is any fall in the market one stock which should definitely accumulate at every fall in the market is Reliance. No, interesting. So what, what guy have to ask you, what's, what's the worst stock you've invested in? <laughs> One that's tanked. <laughs> ah, yes, that's... Uh... <laughs> so, you know, again, this is also one of those Reliance companies where okay. I invested. Uh, yeah, but the other brother Reliance called Reliance Capital. Mm. So I invested in that company because I thought from a financial market perspective, they were well-placed to create something far, far bigger, better. Hmm. But unfortunately, they failed miserably thanks to the whole business model operandi of the younger brother. Uh, that's where I lost uh, most of the money. Uh, but I was smart enough to, you know, book my loss very early. Can you, can you share some success stories then of people who've downloaded the app or people who've done courses and gone on to good things perhaps? I mean, there are a lot of individuals who keep on writing to us that, hmm. yes, they are able to trade on their own now and they're independent now mm. because the biggest thing which is required in our country in India right now is that people are not satisfied with their job mm. and people want to explore an opportunity to become independent by getting into stock market and for that full-time learning of trading and investing is required. So there have been a lot of people who have continuously giving us feedback and stockage is anyways full of feedbacks. So people, mm. and I recently just got a feedback in Twitter where people said that someone said that I, I enrolled for stockage and the same day I generated an idea and next day I traded the idea and my cost of stockage was recovered the next day. Now stockage is free for me for a whole year. And he was thanking me that, sir, you have made this brilliant tool and at such a reasonable cost that it doesn't uh, pay in our pocket. At the same time, it gives us opportunity to make far bigger money than the amount which you are charging for your tool. In your personal life, are you like a spender or a saver? Uh, very honestly, I would say I'm in a balance category. Mm-hmm. I, I love to spend uh, because I, li- I, li- I love shopping as well. And particularly in technology, I love to spend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, every year I need new laptop. I need latest configuration and I keep on trying with new things. So 
you know, technology at time could be very expensive. So that's where I'm very, very, I would say my, my hand is very open. But, you know, uh, but I, I know where my limit is. So I definitely don't go overboard in luxury. I'm pretty happy with a nominal car. But I love technology. I can spend mm. any amount in taking new technology. Nice. Well, what's been the best purchase so far then? I just purchased, uh, you know, last week I purchased this uh, uh, Lenovo uh, laptop T490 mm. uh, uh, because, uh, you know, I love their keyboard and uh, love the whole setup. Unfortunately, it's a Chinese company. <laughs> I don't like, but, you know, uh, that's the way it is that the laptop, the, the, the keyboard is so good. Mm that you just feel like just buying them. There's no one else. And unfortunately, I, when it was IBM, it was much more satisfactory. But with Lenovo branded, it kind of uh, dilutes the satisfaction, but that's okay. As someone who spends their life with money, um, you know, what, what is the most important lesson about money? Well, uh, the most important lesson about money is, uh, you know, the the value of money is continuously eroding and we have to accept that fact and we have to keep on trying figuring out how do you preserve that value by by uh, investing in assets which will give you far bigger return far better return than the loss in the value of money and that is not an option anymore so people have to be very proactive because on the expense side our lifestyle is definitely evolving and we all love to spend more. And, you know, consumerism, I think it at its best, if you see the history of mankind, I think we have never seen this kind of a consumerism ever, thanks to Amazons of the world. Mm. So that will keep on growing. But the revenue side of your money, that still needs to be properly planned. And uh, I am a zero leveraged person, so I have not taken a single rupee of debt. And that gives me a very, very peaceful sleep. So I will never compromise on my sleep uh, in return to luxury, which money can buy to me. Uh, yeah, last few questions then. Um, yeah, you raised finance as well. Talk, talk, yeah. quick, talk about that and how, how that came about and how's that going? So, you know, uh, while you develop a good product, there are various kind of people in society who would use those products. And then there are certain category of people who would love that product and who would probably eventually land up loving you as well. So that was my story about fundraising. So uh, since uh, Stockage is such a powerful product, I used to interact with uh, individuals, uh, a very reputed individuals uh, who were using the product. They used to call me to Bombay to talk about what I'm doing. And one fine day, they just said that in case you need any money someday, mm. I will be happy to chip in into your contribution. Uh, uh, because I know you are spending your money and you would someday need our money as well. So that's how we structured the fundraising in 2018. Mm -hmm. So we raised um, uh, small money, mm. uh, almost, uh, you know, almost half a million money from half a million US dollar from few individuals. Mm. Uh, so we have five uh, awesome uh, mentors, individuals who have given some, some, some money. And since then, uh, we have been running business as a business, trying to run it, uh, considering that, that that money is our money, spend it the way it is required. And, uh, and now we are a, a bit of a positive company. So, so far, fundraising has been very limited. We diluted around 7% stake in 2018. Mm -hmm. And we still own a large part of the company and we are uh, a bit of a positive company. So I'm very, very proud of that. I spoke to you four years ago. I think I asked you about uh, what qualities entrepreneurs should have and 
what should that what should they be focusing on? Uh, yeah, just just if, has anything changed since then? Uh, have you got any more insights on entrepreneurship and startup advice? I think the most critical thing, which I don't remember what uh, the exact discussion we had, but uh, if I would have to say that first, well, most critical thing one uh, is required to be a successful entrepreneur is adaptability to change. And that involves a lot of learning and unlearning. And as you grow old, your propensity to unlearn goes down and propens- uh, and the propensity to learn also kind of uh, platitudes. But... Uh, as an entrepreneur, you have to continuously learn because the world is changing every three years. Who would have thought that, you know, almost uh, 70% of global advertisement will be done through digital marketing? Mm. Who would have thought what uh, Apple has done that, uh, you know, uh, people would value more experience than the product? So all these changes, which is coming every three years, four years, one has to live with those changes. For example, I'm learning machine learning right now. Oh, nice. You know, I'm a chartered accountant, so... For me, imagining that I'm learning machine learning is actually quite, <laughs> quite intrinsic. But but that's the need of the hour. Everything which I'm doing has to have a component of machine learning because that's the future. Will Will this be done by? I mean, it's probably been done by robots already, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So robots are already there in our life, and it mm. is they are changing every every aspect of our life for good. But I strongly believe that finally that uh, human side of being human. Uh, that will always be required in long term. The, you know, we call it the EQ side. So robots would be great in IQ management. Mm. But in terms of EQ, I think there is still a lot of work to be required to be done there. And all this natural language processing and machine learning, etc. These are tried to replace humans in, in the domains of emotions as well. But I think there is still a lot of scope of having a perf- 100% replacement so, but if you have a combination of human side as well as robots in this model, that's, I think, the most dynamic combination. And we are trying to implement all these things in our products so that the human side is also there and the robotic side, which is all mechanical in nature, that also is there to increase the efficiency of our offerings. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting stuff. In, in terms of the, the, the stock markets or globally, or you can talk about the Indian stock market, where, where are we? Um, in the next six months, will it go up or will it go down? Or who knows what's going to happen, right? Well, I, I see, ultimately, stock market globally is a function of interest rates, mm-hmm. okay? You know, this is a mother statement I'm giving to you because that's the most important statement that, whether globally there will be liquidity-driven rise or not depends upon the cost of capital. So if you see the interest rates in US, it's almost uh, 25 basis point. In Europe, it's 0%. In, in Japan, it's minus, minus 10 basis point. Uh, so largely, if the interest rates remain low, all the global markets will continue to perform uh, because uh, liquidity is chasing assets and that is eventually going to build up a of bubble, but then no one can time the bubble. So whether bubble will be off in mm. six months or it will go uh, for six years, no one can time that. It depends upon the overall outlook of global economy and what the central banks in the economy on various economies are trying to do with the interest rates. So to answer the question, in coming six months, I don't see Indian market falling. Although we have a U.S. elections in November, so that can actually create some kind of a disturbances. Mm. But I think in six months, Indian market is going to see new high and uh, people will uh, 
so the market will go in a zone which will be an unbelievable zone mm-hmm. so people will question but market will have its own path of going higher and high in, in terms of bitcoin you probably get asked that quite a lot uh what are your thoughts on so the cryptocurrency side of investing is that something you get involved with uh no, no. never got involved there because you know i have a very strong belief that uh, any financial asset without backup of real asset is, is has no meaning so mm-hmm. for me crypto has unfortunately i've never been able to understand what's the uh basis of crypto so i've not been able to kind of get convinced with that yet uh-huh. staying away from crypto awesome so what, what are you working on right now then anything exciting so right right now the whole energy is into uh stockage and how i can make stockage the bloomberg for retail investors hmm. and the whole path is towards that and help people get access to ready-made analytics ready-made outputs which will help them to take a straightforward decision of when to buy and what to buy. So the whole energy is going there and a lot of work on the retail investor education side. And I've been very active on on social platform. My Twitter has now more than, uh, you know, uh, 60,000 followers and continuously helping people to learn and uh, trying to answer their queries and trying to create a framework for them so that they really, really get into this habit of doing their own research rather than becoming dependent on others. Mm-hmm. Awesome stuff. Vivek, uh, thank you for coming to the show today. If people want more information on what you do, how, how can they connect? Well, the easiest way is to connect to Twitter. So my Twitter handle is Viv Bajaj, V-I-V Bajaj. And uh, if, you, if you have the patience to write email, then my email ID is Vivek at the stockage.com. Vivek, thank you for coming back on the show today. It's been absolutely amazing. Thanks a lot, Neil. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. You are doing a great job. And it's it's really, really, uh, it's, a, it's a happy feeling to talk to it you is. and your it voice. Good to speak to you, man. Yeah. I wish you all the best. Thank you. Cheers, thank buddy. you. Thank Bye-bye. You. Hello, Manakshi. Thank you for coming on the Indian Startup Show today. Thank you. Thank you, Anil. I'm happy to be here. And what was the initial desire to do this? I was doing my hotel management. I, I did my hotel school degree. And after, uh, during that time, uh, I started bartending for a little bit of extra pocket money and, you know, just like everybody else does. And uh, while doing that, I realized I really enjoyed bartending. And uh, I I really got interested in the field. I started, uh, you know, learning about beverages, about wines, about terroir, about history. And then I realized that, you know, it's just not fun and games. There's a, it's a real serious subject. And if you are interested in uh, doing something in this field, it can be really, really exciting. And uh, then I kind of uh, lean towards it as a, as a career as well. And uh, thankfully, you know, lucky I, I met some good mentors early on uh, who helped me navigate uh, this, this this field because in India it, it was very tough. Uh, it's actually not legal for uh, girls to bartend in India for uh, and you know and uh, and very until very recently uh, the, the law changed and. Uh, that sort of uh, was a difficult sort of uh, time for me where I couldn't figure how do I go ahead in this uh, field? How do I bartend? How do I still be in the bar and, you know, be part of the industry that I love so much? And uh, during that time is when, uh, you know, I sort of leaned towards beverage marketing, uh, sales uh, and uh, and events, uh, etc. And that's when I realized that, okay, this is uh, this can also be a fun thing to do. And uh, actually, it was a lot about finding your passion. And along the way, I think I I'm really, really glad that I found that on and I've met the people who helped me figure that out as well. And uh, from there on, yeah, I mean, it sort of became easier. I think I think when I, once I recognized that what I want to do in life, I think it, that then it just flowed. And mm. since then, I've been in the industry. Yeah. What was it specifically that you liked about bartending then? 
I, I, I mean, I did it for two days and quit after two days. <laughs> <laughs> no, bartending is a, is, is a, is a serious job. And uh, I think that, you know, everyone gets into bartending. I, I mean, everyone internationally, everyone you meet always tells you that they've gotten into bartending just to make a little bit of extra money and, you know, on the side. And eventually they'll be doing something else. Um, and that is exactly how I also got into it in terms of, uh, you know, uh, I started bartending. And then I realized it's actually serious hard work and it's a lot of fun. It was also a lot about shining your personality it was a lot about interacting with new people interesting people i love that i mean i'm a very very people person so i think i i enjoyed that a lot um and uh and and you know i'm telling you it's like it's almost like when you're behind the bar it's like a stage and everyone's watching you it's that whole vibe also that you feel like the center of attention a lot of times which is super exciting like it's almost like a theater artist loves being in the theater for the same reason um and and it sort of worked really well. It was serious hard work, and uh, I I actually enjoyed it, and it actually became like a sport. It was this major adrenaline uh, rush that you get after you know working fourteen fifteen hours straight, and uh, it still you actually look forward to the going back to work the next day. I think that's that's when I realized this is something I, I love doing. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you said that you know women working in bars is you know un- uncommon. What what were the early days like? Yeah, yeah. So uh, in fact, uh, this is uh, we are talking about fifteen sixty years. Uh, years ago and uh, back then of course things were very different uh, there were only one or two other women who had bartended or were bar- bartending at that time I don't really remember meeting any at you know, peers at that time mm. and uh, and during that time also you know there was this whole concern of safety and security and all of that because you know uh, traditionally it, it's tough in India because there's a there's a taboo already that exists for Indians so you know uh, uh, liquor is not never seen as uh, or at least ha- wasn't being seen in a positive light for the longest time you would see I don't know if you've seen any Hindi you know Hindi movies mm. where uh, you know Bollywood movies in which uh, villains are always drinking and you know they are the ones who are always the, you know <laughs> laughing out loud and having these bottles of uh, booze so uh, it was it's always kind of has always portrayed has been always portrayed in a very negative light and I think it's uh, it, it'll take a while culturally for us to get out of it you know to, for children to hi- not hide from their parents that they drink or actually sit with their fathers and mothers and you know and on the table and have a drink once in a while and and we see that change now coming I think uh, you know it's happening uh, slowly and gradually um, people are more accepting but it was tough at that time because uh, you know all this was not going on it was all very like you know almost shady so if you're a girl who works in the bar then of course you know you'll be easy or you know you so it was always almost um, you know almost uh, interpreted like that so it's it was always a it was a tough uh, tough time back then and I think that was the reason why I think I could not even continue bartending as well because uh, I realized that you know I don't have any future here like it's you know I mean I, I won't really get anywhere I'll, I'll become a bar manager somewhere which I absolutely did not want to be mm. that's why I sort of uh, changed track and got into marketing and sales etc yeah. 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 so yeah. W- when did you have the sort of light bulb moment that you wanted to do your own thing as it were Oh, um, that that started a uh, that again started very very early, you know. Uh, mm. uh, and uh, I always wanted to like it was you know it's one of those you know you have your bucket list right. So you want to write a book, which I do, I will someday I think. Mm. Uh, you wanna you know have your own bar. You wanna you know you of, of course you know you wanna do Kilimanjaro. So you have your <laughs> list right. You have your bucket list. I do too. So uh, bars are always there up there for most of us, and I think it was always there. And because I was in the industry, I always felt that 
it you know india doesn't have or you know the places that i've been to i was in the liquor industry i was traveling a lot and the entire time i realized that very there were very very few and far locals and you know casual bars that was just about getting to know people about the bartender it was mostly about you know it was it was a lot about you know showing off very nightclub sort of formats mm. um you know very very you know very clubby kind of a vibe it, mm. they weren't really like you know relaxed chill this is your neighborhood and you know get to know your bartender and you know all of that so i think very early on i realized that you know this is a great uh, potential and then at that time i was talking to my current business partner saying that you know let's let's do something about it let's so we started our first in fact uh, uh, project uh, plan uh, in an excel sheet around about 2006 mm. 7 and that's when i first made my excel sheet and then finally we opened one in 2012 so it took that long to yeah. to reach there uh but yeah i mean so it was always a dream and it was i think it was in the making and i'm glad that it happened the way it did it uh, you know we didn't rush into it uh, and we i think we opened it at the right time uh, when we were ourselves financially as well as i think emotionally ready to invest that much time and attention to it so i think it worked out well 6 years it was a long time <laughs> it's like that blog you keep writing to think that one day I, it's going to make into a book right so i had a that excel sheet was always like constantly getting tweaked and i had a bunch of images i still have that uh, folder and i i mean i time and again go back to it you know the some something about the menu something about the uniform something about the signage it was always in your dream right so it's mm. it's it's like a dream project which was in the making and i think and i think uh, sometimes i feel that you know um, if you can manifest your dream that's the that's the best uh, best thing you can do as an entrepreneur and i always feel that you should be able to visualize what you actually want to make and i think that is extremely important like you know it sh- you shouldn't be vague about it you need to be really really like you know you sh- it's it's almost like you can touch and feel and taste it so it should be that real to you and i think that's when you know the transformation happens for you to 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 feel that kind of a you know fire in your belly yeah, yeah. Well, I, i must have a look at this excel spreadsheet what what were the numbers and how 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 accurate were the numbers then looking back Oh, they were terrible we had no idea so i think i think nobody has any idea i mean you you think you know it all and you've done your research and you you've done everything and i think when it hits you when you do your own you know your own stuff you realize that you're all over the place we made all our mistakes that i think everyone does uh, we calculated the location wrong we got almost the rental we, oh, i think the only thing we got right was the rental and other than that i mean our carpenters were like the architect was bad i mean everything that could go wrong went wrong in it uh, we had a chef who we had to fire just two weeks before we were opening oh. then we didn't have bartenders we couldn't train them we were all over the place and i think that that is that is the journey that we had to make uh, and i'm glad it happened like that because i think it kept us on our toes uh, for a full year like full year we were like we were literally living there so mm. we would go in the morning and stay there the whole day and close the place even if there were two or three tables we would do that and that kind of i think perseverance pays off ah. you know in the long run yeah. yeah yeah excellent were you taking seriously in the early days then yeah yeah no you were like you know consumers like the, the guests who came in loved us and i think that was day one we we got a lot of lot of attention mm. and love from the people even if there were five people five tables they would all go back super happy i think it was mostly because my business partner who's also a very well known mixologist he mm. was bartending himself and that was in itself a great privilege for us and i was serving so literally like in india that doesn't really happen you if you if you 
if you go to bars and restaurants in india the main investors or the or the partners will never be actually doing the work you know they will always be the ones who will you know who are the big bosses mm. and they'll come and go out of meetings but they won't be really there for you to to serve you to talk to you but uh, i think we broke that sort of a, you know almost like it, it was almost like a cultural ceiling that we broke where we were doing our own stuff and i actually i mean i, I we super we enjoyed it like thoroughly so the, uh, to get to know your guests then you know so i think we got a lot of appreciation from there industry wise like from the restaurant industry from the bar industry that took some time in the, in the sense that while i was uh, i was from a beverage company i yeah. worked with perno and you know diageo and all of that uh, they didn't know about us but that that you know you need to still prove yourself right so in the industry you you need to prove yourself you know in in terms of recognition in terms of awards and all of that i mean in terms of, of course the basic sales and the numbers so um yeah so i think uh, yeah so we 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 got we we earned it over a period of time mm-hmm. i would say when was a spe- was a specific breakthrough moment then yeah yeah so i think that was almost 8 to 9 months uh, mm-hmm. down the line i think that was how long it took us to actually stabilize to to feel confident enough to leave the place or not be around like for 24 hours so i think that happened uh, eight my eight to nine months down the line where we we got our call for our first award actually for by times of india it's a huge you know mm. media company yeah. in india and you know so uh, we got a call saying you've been nominated for the best bar and we got nominated for like i think in three categories or i think four and uh, I was shell shocked. I was like, mm. "What? We like out of nowhere? We are like a nobody in the middle of nowhere, and mm. who cares about us?" Kind of a thing, and um, and they nominated us, and uh, and 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 then I laughed about it with my business partner. We both had a, like a, this joke that, "Oh, of course we are not winning anything. You know, this is just a whatever. You know, feel good kind of a factor." And then we got a call after some time. a month down the line saying that oh, we won in all the categories and that was that was quite an awakening for us and i think that was massive uh, you know uh, it's, it was almost like wow like you know we never knew we were that good you know how, uh, like i think we never looked at ourselves like that and um, to actually win an award for best bar best cocktails best ambiance all of that uh, i think that was our first almost uh, trigger where we got to kind of see the other side of the spectrum mm. where people like okay now you know we can be taken seriously we have a place you know in this industry and all of that yeah, no, yeah. How, how did you get indians to drink cocktails then <laughs> <laughs> it took it took it was tough that time you know mm. uh, we were like uh, like i said uh, i was working in the liquor industry my business partner has been bartending for like 25 years now so mm. back then i mean he he he's been very very like almost uh, you know at the pinnacle of it so he's 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 been bartending he's he's uh, has a bartending school he's been consulting so we are both very much clued in with the industry so that ways we knew our cocktails we knew what we are trying to do we so we had a very very clear cut vision where we decided to make a speakeasy style bar yeah. and uh, when that uh, then that was clear then we had the prohibition era cocktails and you know we did the whole music then so we had a jazz bands that were playing and uh, everything worked beautifully the uniforms the the everything just worked beautifully the food the you know uh, in fact the weight was even uh, you know hidden away uh, it uh, you you had me people still have a tough time finding it i mean that is really the idea of speakeasy and um, 
and uh, when we did that uh, uh, initially yes it, it it took a it it took it was kind of difficult for to getting in uh, getting people to you know reach to you but then of course people turned up eventually mm-hmm. that was the nice thing go for that excellent so uh, going back to this spreadsheet um i'm fascinated um in terms of the <laughs> themes and concepts because obviously the bar scene in india is quite competitive now where did you get your ideas from then or your inspiration you know bob it, it was all about the global scene what yeah. was happening internationally so you know like i like i was telling you the, the background was already there we were pretty clued in we were very much into the you know entrenched like i was i mean we i've been like so almost like reading gary regan's newsletters mm. for like 10 years before that i was following Al- academics so we were following angus winchester so a lot of international very well known people we were already kind of seeing what they are doing we knew what is happening in new york in london all of that so it was it was like you know you you watching and you seeing that's where the trend is at and you we knew that you know there's something like that this doesn't exist in india so far and i think that was uh, that was a clear very very good understanding that we had of the market that we were operating in and uh, we were very confident of that and and initially like like you know it was tough to get people to have cocktails and to 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 actually convince them to enjoy the drinks but but it was just about going with your gut and in fact one of the my famous lines that i used to say to all our guests was that you know uh, i would offer them a cocktail and i would always say that if you don't like it give it to me i can use a drink and uh, that almost every time worked because people would be like of course you know nobody returns a cocktail that easily so that worked every time and uh, and people eventually realized that you know like you know if you are having if somebody would order say a highball like i'll just go with or soda and a whiskey water which is the standard way that you know indians were drinking mostly at that time we would we could convert them to say a mint julep or a, or a or an old fashion of course uh, you know and whiskey sours as well so that's where i think the transition started happening when i think we started betting on ourselves versus you know versus any other trend so mm. we weren't following anyone as such or or do i mean i think we were just following ourselves and our own gut mostly yeah yeah that's good what kind of customers are you attracting now then so depending on the location like uh, delhi attracts a lot lot more uh, you know up uh, up uh, like more, mobile like a lot more global mm. audience uh, delhi has like you know a lot of it has a lot of expats and you know a lot of well traveled well healed people and uh, like gurgaon has a lot more corporate working uh, working category so we so both the bars to where they are located is the kind of places like people they are attracting but but having said that both attract a very similar like you know at the end of it the vibe is very much It's the same that they are all looking for a good cocktail and a bar experience more than anything else, and I think that has been wonderful. Awesome stuff. So started in two thousand six with a spreadsheet. Uh, fast forward <laughs> to twenty twenty. Uh, you voted. You're in the top fifty bars in Asia. What a great journey. What, what do you think about that? <laughs> oh, stoked! Like I, I, I mean, there is absolutely uh, no words, and it happened during COVID, you know, which is which is uh, good and bad both. Because mm-hmm. if it it wasn't for COVID, we would have celebrated this big with the fraternity in Singapore, and it would have been a massive party for forever, I think, for a week, mm-hmm. and uh, we would have done that. Uh, but having said that, the fact that it's happened, uh, you know, during this tough time, which which is also a great relief because uh, you know it's it's just. it's just something that to 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 actually lean on and to actually feel better about yourself and you know anything works right right now any any sort of motivation is is good motivation and this has been huge because um, yeah i mean winning india's best bar winning uh, you know uh, 
you know, even even getting into the Asia's 50 list is a big deal for us because so far none of the Indian bars have ever been taken seriously or haven't been talked about. And you know, I think I think after this happened, uh, we've gotten connected with a lot of people in the Asia industry. Mm-hmm. Singapore, Hong Kong are miles miles ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in the in the in the way they do their drinks, the way they do their bars, even the community is super strong. Mm-hmm. I think we are learning from there. Uh, we will also get there in a few years. Uh, I mean, this stop gap. Uh, I wish. This hadn't happened, but uh, if I mean, uh, I, I think we'll we'll reach there sometime. Is it pressure on or pressure off now? Now that you're in the the top fifty bars in Asia and India's best bar. <laughs> Yeah, 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 it is. It is there, but I don't think so that we take ourselves that seriously. Uh, and I think that is uh, that's always been uh, the truth about you know, like I, I think at the end of it, you are still in the bar industry. You need to have fun. You need to you know make friends, and you know you're doing this at the end of it. It's a very very social sort of a job. It's it's hospitality, right? You mm-hmm. you need to make people feel good about coming to the bar, and that's your key job. Yeah. I mean, uh, your cocktail can be changed. Your cocktail can be tweaked if you don't like it. You know, but 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 if somebody walks into your bar and they don't feel good about it, then you've lost the plot, right? Mm-hmm. So I think our main job is to be, you know, and I think that is that is not no pressure at all because I think hospitality-wise, we we know what we're doing. Of course, you know, working on the menu constantly, working on innovation, working on techniques. Those are things that, of course, I mean, mm-hmm. we have to keep working on all the time. And you mentioned COVID-19. How did you deal with that on a, on a sort of personal level? You know, did 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 you go mad during lockdown? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, not really. I mean, it's been tough. I mean, I I mean, I would be lying if I say that. Oh, you know, it's it's been easy. But uh, uh, having said that, I think uh, we are also blessed with a with a, with a good team. Any everybody kept together everybody i think we've rallied on we have done a lot of uh, a lot of innovations during this time which is super exciting yeah. so we have we, we felt that you know this is uh, this is something that uh, that was uh, almost coming for us it was this time that we used this four five months that we bought mm. to actually work on our premixes on our you know we, we we we've been supplying premixes we've been work, doing a lot of cocktail workshops in fact uh, the number of things that we've done during and the number of uh, just PowerPoint presentations I've made has been hectic. Uh, at the same time, we've also been doing a lot of upskilling, a lot of trainings. So we did a lot of staff trainings, uh, you know, just on basic beverages to actually a little more, you know, complex uh, trainings as well. We've done a lot of uh, internal trainings on biases, on uh, on on things like, you know, uh, yeah, so, so on sustainability. So you're actually refocusing on priorities uh, where we should, you know, because you're so busy in your normal mm. day in life, we realize this is a great time to actually, you know, group and you know just sort of rejig our uh, the way we've been doing things and maybe we've been ignoring a lot of things you know which we should be focusing on so i think that i think that we worked on that uh, which i'm super glad about mm. yeah but uh, otherwise mentally it's been bad yeah. what, what would you say you know what, what have you learned about yourself during the lockdown period I have learned like this most amazing thing about myself that I would always constantly crave about the fact that oh you know I don't have any time I don't uh, you know uh, get any time off and you know uh, uh, I have a little baby you know I don't have get time with my husband so there was this whole always this thing in me that oh you know one day in a week I take day off and even then your phone rings or something happens you need to go to an event you know if you're not at your bar you're at someone else's bar so you know this late night so I'm constantly I was doing that constantly and then when I think COVID hit is when I realized that um, 
that I actually like doing all that. It's <laughs> not that I'm, I so so I missed it terribly, and uh, I mean to, to even we miss it even now because obviously things are not back to normal. But I actually enjoy that lifestyle. I enjoy the challenge. I enjoy the meetings. I I, I mean it gives me that uh, that excitement and the focus which I think I terribly need. I can only. chill for that much long so you know read that book and you know do your i don't know netflix and chill can only take you that far i think after some time i was like you know what next and uh, i i realized that drive uh, was within me i just wasn't you know i i mean you you were obviously constantly focusing on other things but uh, this is something and i got to spend a lot of time with my family which i I think I'm super thankful awesome. about. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned your co-founder. Um, how, how did you guys meet then? So yeah, so like I said, Yangdup uh, Lama, he's a very well-known mixologist, and he he I met uh, in fact right after college. So he was one of the people who actually helped me get into the bar industry, you know, uh, bartend. And he was he was almost like my mentor. And uh, and then over the years, we we became like colleagues. Where when I was working in liquor industry, then I was hiring him as a consultant or as a trainer, and then over. For a period of time, uh, you know, uh, the conversation started about uh, let's make a bar together and all of that, and mm-hmm. and I think I got super lucky to find somebody who's so who was already so established and who knew what he's doing. You know, I think I could, you know, you can take a bet on someone that that you know and you already respect so much for you know for the work that they've done. Let's talk cocktails then. You know, what's your what's your, what's your favorite cocktail then? Oh, it keeps it keeps changing. Uh, you know, uh, with with time, and I think that uh, uh, I'm not I'm not like uh, I mean, it's it's also the mood and the space that I'm at. So I love I love you know in a really nice classic bar. If I would sit, I would love a Manhattan or a Negroni, a very spirit forward, nice uh, you know whiskey based cocktail, uh, or you know, I mean for a Negroni also is is beautiful, and. Um, And if I'm, of course, if I'm out, if I'm on a uh, on a girls uh, girls trip or a, or a friends zone, you know, which is which is which is a very different vibe and zone, then then it will be margaritas and, and beers and. So that's so I I kind of am in between the two yeah but margaritas are my all time favorite uh, holiday drinks and they are they are the ones that you know you relax with. What was the most popular cocktails that you serve then? So yeah, we do a lot of whiskey sours and mm. old fashions, which which is which is still the classics you know which which is where it is at I think. Uh, and that's that's also great because uh, I mean you you can't beat the classics and I'm a very very I'm, I'm while we do a lot of innovation and a lot of lot of new drinks and creatively as well uh, we are very very deep rooted and you know seated with our with our uh, with our classics as well so you know you can't you can't mess with them so you know you should get your martinis right and you should get your uh, you know Manhattan's right yeah, yeah. What, what's the secret behind a really good cocktail then you know I've had, I've had a few sort of disappointing cocktails here what was <laughs> you know it's tips. funny i would i always i always say this that uh, the secret behind a really good cocktail is not not uh, anything but the bartender who's making it and i've always felt that like you know if if uh, it's it's the drink is not so much as uh, is an experience itself right mm. so that drink you could if you could you can buy it from a store or you can you can you make it yourself also you know these classics are not as complicated but it's it's the entire experience itself the the way it's made the presentation even the conversation that you have that bartender can lift that experience to another notch right and i think that's sometimes when you go to a bar you will remember that drink so much more than if that drink was had at another place where you know which was a regular so so where has the shift happened it's mostly 
the experience has changed at the bartenders level and we've always been very very you know vocal about the fact that you know it's it we are all about a bartenders bar we are we ourselves have bartended and we know what it takes and you know we always propagate and i would like to see you know someday bartenders reach where chefs have reached right mm-hmm. the celebrity you know stardom that they've reached at i mean uh, so i mean i would like to think that you know someday bartenders can also reach that level of you know um, celebrity would and you know recognition and stuff yeah yeah in, in terms of non-alcoholic cocktails is that, is that a trend that you're seeing so uh, you know uh, low abv uh, uh, low alcoholic uh, uh, percentage cocktails have have been trending for a bit and i think uh, i think it's a it's a good trend to be uh, any people are actually what uh, why i think that's happening mostly is because people are not looking to get drunk so much and looking for more like experiences to go to the bar now you know you don't go to a bar to get hammered you actually go and you know enjoy those two three drinks and you know enjoy that downtime and i think people are appreciating that more and more mm. and you can see that as a trend almost and, uh, and and i think that is a that's a great trend because i think uh, that actually comes into the you know better you actually drinking better spirits better quality spirits so you know uh, so i think your 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 taste and your experiences also evolve over time mm-hmm. and i think that's what is happening with low abv cocktails even non alcoholic drinks for that matter i mean it's a great thing that there is an option out there you know otherwise you would end up like you know sparkling water and lime and i think you know you just look like the odd one out in the middle of of a group who's not drinking you know and uh, and i think it's a great thing that you know you can fit in and still feel feel the vibe and i you know i think it's it's a great thing great option to have yeah what what would you say is like um india's relationship with alcohol like then because obviously at the start of the show you said that back in the day you know if you drunk drink whiskey you're a bit of a gangster but what, what what's, yeah, what's it yeah. like now then it's not it's not been good uh, in the sense that uh, we've never we've never viewed uh, alcohol as a, in the in the positive spectrum of mm. things we are still the most heavily taxed product in india we still have the most regulations it's a, it's very very tough to run a bar forget about opening the bar we we need like 15 to 20 licenses from different bodies uh, the amount of bureaucracy that exists is almost painful and this is year on year it's not like you know you get a license in one year and then you continue you have to do this every year so you're like you're almost knee deep into a lot of i don't want to use the word crap but you know excuse my french mm-hmm. but you are there so uh, in that sense india has always been has so far been very regressive having said that you i think the, i think the shift will happen eventually when they will realize that i mean there are lots of things which are happening in small pockets and small silos which are happening which which are actually getting some interest where you know there's also some there's also a lot of employment that this industry generates and i think it's time that you know the the government and the other authorities actually acknowledge that we are we are generating a lot of revenue a lot of tax for them and uh, you know the fact that they are constantly almost and every time looking at you like you know like as if you're in a you're a criminal or something which is which is terrible right so i think it comes from the deep rooted uh, you know uh, the biases that we have that you know if you are in the liquor industry then you would be somebody would be dumb doing something wrong or you know that whole mobs mob and mafia vibe right which which is what india has always has has always seen liquor as and so we need to get out of that and go to modern retail you know like now you can see there's modern retails happening now a lot of lot more women are out drinking openly like a lot of bars you see like in our bars we see a lot of women drinking coming in just even one or two alone also sitting at the bar 
about you know, drinking that's such a refreshing refreshing i mean for you it might be very very normal to see that mm. but for us in india it's a refreshing sight literally like you know the day i see a lot of women in the bar i'm always very happy to see that because it's in a, in its in its way it's, it's a telling tale like it's a sign that you know we are we are accepting this as a normal and not not you know not constantly boxing it as something that we should shouldn't be doing or you know secretly doing and uh, not good for you so you know how how we've always seen and viewed it as so yeah yeah so it was Ill- illegal for a woman to be a bartender then is that right yeah what yeah it is it is it is tough it is very tough in fact i'm working on um, on projects right now as we speak to mm. actually i mean this is something again because of covid and because of the time that i've had on my, you know on my with myself that yeah uh, we are working uh, with with organizations trying to set up some kind of groups where you know we work better with uh, getting more and more girls employed in the industry mm. you know we need to get them in in at a, at an entry level and and then from there on of course you know how they how they work how they you know they want to become bartenders or not and their career progresses their way but it's about the fact that you know someone has to pave the way so we are trying to do that and uh, trying to work on that but it is very it is not that easy uh, in hotels it's it's still easier in the in the sense that they still have a certain infrastructure mm-hmm. they have a proper hr and admin and you know dropping and pickups and all of that but in a lot of free standing restaurants and bars it's it's tough for women to bartend uh, as such because mm-hmm. you know it gets to late nights and then that comes it becomes about safety how they're going to go home there are certain laws which you know prohibit them to even work after 8 pm so it's it's crazy yeah sounds crazy to me um you know when you go to other bars then are you checking out the competition or are you just enjoying yourself <laughs> relaxing or no, doing no, I, I, <laughs> you switch off basically no right? no <laughs> yeah no no I, I i think i'm a big uh, i'm i'm a big supporter of uh, i i mean i believe in the fact that you know if you are in a good environment in a positive environment you will grow along with your own you know with your environment as well i don't believe in the like i think i think it's it's always been like that that i am very happy to see good bars good restaurants mm-hmm. you know good like you know passionate owners who know what they're doing you know i i want to uh, personally also promote them because that's that's what it takes right like if i mean if if my street has great uh, uh, five great bars i can actually gain from that if mm. i'm the only good bar in my street then people are only going to come for me but if they're coming for five others they might notice me as well right mm. so it works like that that's how the hubs work that's how you know you 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 go to hong kong you go to singapore you go in there the bar, this the they're like streets full of bars and they're all doing fantastic and it's a culture right it's not it's not about just having one good bar in in, in the middle of nowhere right it's mm. it's about it's about a culturally you know coming out of the fact that you know people need lots of good bars and lots of good restaurants that's how it it'll, it'll you know the game will go up that's how that that's how it'll get more interesting for everyone yeah last few questions then um in terms of social media then that that must play a big part in Helping you, know, you helping you market the the bars or brand the bars. Uh, what what's worked and what yeah. hasn't worked in terms of strategies? You know, we've we've been learning. Uh, yeah. You know, I think we've had our learning curve, and uh, social media itself is 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 like a wild animal actually. So you know, uh, you 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 know, one day uh, stories work, and another day lives work, and uh, the next day something else works. So as as we we are also learning, and I think the important thing for all of us as entrepreneurs and FNB entrepreneurs to learn is the fact that we sort of more clued in with what is happening in terms of uh, the social media so you know where facebook is at and where is instagram at and you know wh- what is what is the next big thing that's coming up or you know which are the kind of videos which are getting edited now you know 
so so it's about getting keeping yourself clued in and uh, and being there yourself you know instead of leaving it on an agency or someone else mm-hmm. i think i i've always believed in in the fact that you know if you when you're personally involved with social media your conversation is also an extension of your own brand and yourself and i think that also shows uh, a lot uh, so we we've, we've had our yeah so so i think i think we've been doing fairly well um, when when it comes to that and it's a great tool for connecting uh, uh with with the community at large with with you know with uh, other bars other bartenders it's been fantastic so that way social media is is is, is great mm-hmm. yeah, that's good um if if somebody wants to start their own bar and restaurant uh, what advice would you give them yeah um oh god tough fun mm-hmm. uh i would say that you know uh, you should introspect on why you want to do it i think ask yourself the right questions first uh is it uh, you know is it because you have money uh, if that's your answer then you shouldn't if, mm-hmm. if is it because you have a lot of free time then you shouldn't mm-hmm. there are better ways to spend your free time and money in i would say that you have to be like really really centered at the fact that if that is all you want to live and breathe and you know do in your life and i think and 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 that's what if it's really really clear to you in terms of the career or in terms of your life goal then go for it so so have that conversation think about it mm. mull over it or don't jump into something as an opportunity because these opportunities are also like you know short windows and and and, and not necessarily or you know open for all so you have to keep that in mind of course understand the business at a, at a level where i think costing and their business plan makes a lot of sense so so keep going back at it speak to a lot of your peers speak to other people who are already doing it or try to look for a mentor if you can mm. you know who can actually guide you and help you who's done this before and there are there are some great people out there who will give you that advice as well so i mean it is about so it's about doing that due to diligence for yourself more than um, the outside world i mean you might think your product is something which is unique and which doesn't exist but that shouldn't be the reason for you for you to go for it you should you should be you should be thinking about yourself like uh, like are you ready for this it's it's like a massive commitment that you need to make you know uh, in every 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 way so you know if you are happy to give up on christmas eve and new year's eve and your birthday and your child's birthday then it's good right so it, that's where you you so you need to ask yourself those hard questions mm-hmm. would you recommend sort of buying an existing business or would you recommend from Start from scratch. I'm suppose there's probably pros and cons from each side of things. Yeah, no. So, uh, so it it all depends on it's it's it, that's that's a very uh, operational uh, mm. thing to do because I mean you need to you you would know what your capital is or where you want to be focusing on. If you are yeah. buying into the business, you need to be sure on why you're buying it. Is it location? Is it something else? What is making you buy the space? You know, a lot of time buying the space could actually become uh, you know redundant because sometimes you have to redo the whole place and then the cost comes back to the same amount. So you have to be hundred percent sure on you know. So yeah, it, it depends on your business model mostly. Mm-hmm. So there's no right or wrong answer here. Yeah. Yeah. Who who's helped you on your on your journey then? Uh, so uh, of course my my father's been a massive massive uh, support mm. about uh, you know on on this uh, i was working as a corporate and i was doing fairly well and i think i kept going back to him and saying you know i want to do my own thing and 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 i think he was fantastic with the way uh, he approached this whole thing uh, where uh, you know i would sit down with my mom dad and they would say that you know just go ahead and do it you're young and you know you should do it and you know don't don't wait for i mean it don't mm-hmm. i mean it's not a milestone that after marriage to business or whatever so i was i was 28 when i started my first bar and and i think that 
that's that's the interesting thing that you know I didn't have and then I along the way I met my my partner you know I, and he has been super supportive about it so it's and then you know by thankfully my uh, my in-laws have been super supportive about it so every so it takes a village right so I think I think that <laughs> over a period of time nobody can say that you know I've done it on my own and that's it so it's it's like I've had these wonderful amazing people who have who have always been uh, you know um, super supportive and you know and I think that's where and of course work mentors you know your office mentors and, and friends and family i think everybody's everybody's been there mm-hmm. excellent look looking back then would you, would you change anything mm, no not really you know we we've, we've lots and lots of times thought about the fact that maybe we would change our location in gurgaon and go to a little more high street location but in retrospect i think not because uh, i think it everything happens uh, for a reason and i think it's it's just been fantastic i mean for the way it happened for the lack of budgets we actually went to a place which we couldn't afford uh, and uh, and i think it worked out wonderfully in the long run excellent last, last question then for people who want more information uh, about you and the bars uh, what must they do ah they can they can follow us uh, on instagram uh, sidecar india or cnd speakeasy they can they, they can just google us sidecar india it's a it's a bar uh, we have our website up we have we are, we are there or you know just google us but why is it called sidecar oh because sidecar was the muse the cocktail itself the sidecar as a cocktail was a muse to make the make the bar itself so if you when you enter you it was all about the fact that you know we wanted to use that as the center of the inspiration the name the the vibe the music uh it is a prohibition era cocktail it was it was invented in 1922 so it has a lot of european vibe instead of american so you know so we went for that and it's really simple and classic and still it's 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 an everlasting beautiful cocktail so i think it it worked wonderfully from every sense of the way yeah i shall definitely have to try that one one day uh makashi <laughs> uh, thank, thank you for coming with india startup show today i wish you all the best thank you thank you neil it was a pleasure awesome. i'm glad uh, i'm glad we did this awesome that's the end of the show. Thank you for listening and supporting the podcast. And if you're building something exciting, please send me an email, hello at neilpatel.co, or you can tweet at Indian Startup SH, or you can go to facebook.com forward slash Indian Startup Show. Love to connect. Thank you and goodbye.